organizations were going under, there were no women's divisions. Like, you'd get a random female fight on any card, but you never went somewhere and there were, like, rankings or women's divisions. Almost everybody just met at 135 because it was like, ah, we're all, we all can get there one way or another, so we'd meet. But it wasn't, it's not like now where there's a 105, 115, 125. It wasn't like that. So Invicta came on, and their first, it was one or two shows they did free on the internet. But what they did is they got all the top-ranking, they signed all the top-ranking women around the world, right? International, they were getting visas for people, all that stuff. And they put it on the internet free. And then when they went to make it pay-per-view, like two shows in, they crashed the server. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Pohada Podcast, episode six. And this time around, my conversation, as you heard there, is with Caitlin Young, a Muay Thai fighter, MMA fighter, jiu-jitsu enthusiast, and together with her boy toy, Ryan Murray, owner and operator of the Striking Institute in Little Canada, Minnesota. As usual, before we jump back into the conversation, a huge shout-out to Kathy and Polly Brooks for again hosting the conversation. A big shout-out to the podcast sponsor, 5 Watt Coffee. Remember, you give us a five-star review and write something funny on Apple Podcast app, I can buy you a coffee via a gift card from 5 Watt Coffee. And just like last time, make sure when you finish the episode to stick around and hear a preview of who's going to be on next time. And without further ado, my conversation with Caitlin Young. Did you record something prior to this uh, podcast? Today. No, just in general. No. Oh, good deal. I, I I had a couple of these because I was planning like a lifting fitness related one several oh, years ago. Okay, that, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, Where did it come from? There yeah. was previous intentions for sure, um, but then it was just like there's a couple of key conversations I had with people that made me go, "I'm going to do that." Sure. A couple back and forth with what's Travis the Hurricane's real last name? Larson. Redinger. Redinger. Love Travis. Yeah, he. He gave me some feedback after I went and got some photos over there of training, and he messaged me. I didn't send him any photos, but he messaged me to say, hey, man, I, th- I think that's a really cool, valuable thing you're doing right now. This is, like, after the first reopening, mm-hmm. you know, and people were excited to, like, have pictures, and there was a belt oh, ceremony sure. that day or whatever. Yeah. A couple other conversations like that where it's, like, you could tell people were just itching to feel connected again a 100%. little bit and just know people a little bit. <clears throat> So part of the goal is to sit down with people I've never met. Oh, sure. I don't know you that well, and I haven't known any of the guests that well, but I've never seen Ken Glenn in person. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to, we're going to do the, we're going to do the real conversation. Like, what do I need to know, man? You know, because like you, I know you are like a dog owner and a gym owner and some kind of MMA fighter. Something like that. And we should talk about those things, but we should also talk about things I don't know or that we don't know. That you don't know. Ooh. But we start wherever we start. Yeah, yeah. Because it's been recording, so we're started. Well, you you go back and edit, decide what you want. <laughs> you make us sound, any, make me sound terrible like yeah, a reality uh, show. Yeah. Cut Producer. Out any political statements <laughs> I disagree with, I'll cut those out. Yeah, Travis is good. Are you going to ever have Travis on? He's an interesting cat. I, I want to, exclusively based on what Jeremy said when he handed him his last belt, mm. and he explained that Travis is like, been around in the thicket of it 100%. for years and years he, don't let yeah. his belt rank you know uh illustrate where he's at so to speak or how long he's been around i guess no yeah he was um i met him at the academy because he was at a gym that had closed and a bunch of them came up there but he was uh 
he was with the original like Team Bison. I forget what year he started fighting, but I want to say he has 30, 40 pro fights as an MMA fighter. Um, but he's somebody, he's like the, he would definitely be on your A team if there's like an apocalypse. You want Travis in your <laughs> compound. And I'll explain why. Because like he makes fight outfits. He's a nurse practitioner. He's a mm-hmm. great mechanic. Mm. He bakes. Uh, he does jujitsu, bunch of MMA fights. There's, there's like nothing Travis can't do. Nice. The, ba- the baking has my, my interest. You say he's a good shot. Yeah. Darts like at darts no, or what? with guns. With guns, nice. Now I really want to have him on. Well, geez, sending the message right now. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, he's a, he's a good dude. Why should I talk to you though? Why should you talk to me? I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, What's the name of your gym? My name, the name of my gym is Striking Institute. Why do um, I always call it Striking Force when I mention it? Hmm? The Strike Force? I, I always say Striking Force, oh. and then I'm like looking for looking for it in a map yesterday. I'm like, I can't find it. I don't know. What Maybe is the Strike there used, Force? There used to be a MMA, now defunct MMA promotion yeah. called Strike Force. Oh, that's totally it. Yeah, it was MMA right. and kickboxing, actually, I think back in the day, like 2008 yeah. to 2010 Yeah, yeah. that's totally something. why my brain does that, probably. Mm-hmm. I didn't even connect the two. And then they became Elite XC, and then they went under. I was signed to them back in uh, 2008. When it was Elite XC? Mm-hmm. And then they went under and didn't, like, tell anybody. We all found out online three weeks before we were fighting that it's not happening, and the promotion went under. Uh, like somebody's Instagram post or something? It was. It didn't even exist. Oh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Where did I find out? It was a, like a forum. Yeah, like secondhand. Like a, some anyway. kind of fighter forum, yeah. That's lame. It was pretty lame. There was a lot of that, though, back then. It was kind of the Wild West. The it's, early years. Yeah, so it still speak. is to some degree, but back then, yeah, it really was. And they didn't have, um, at that point, like women still didn't fight five-minute rounds. As pros, they'd make you do threes. It's like how women still can't check against the boards in hockey mm. and stuff, right? It's just yeah, silly boxing is the same two-minute rounds, silliness. But see, I'd prefer a two-minute yeah. round. Five minutes. I, I oh. think a lot of heavyweights would prefer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I liked about taking those photos at your place yesterday. Because mm. um, yeah, it, it was the like big boy sparring. Yeah, yeah it, was, it felt real. Uh-huh. You know, like sometimes when I'm even like jujitsu guys, I'm watching small guys do stuff. I'm like, this is like a a language I'm not going to be competent in almost. Yeah, they're very, um, that group of guys is really, they're really good at being good partners to each other, but also it's not light, which you probably saw, mm-hmm. like, uh, or, or overly light. Yeah, it didn't feel light. The room didn't mm-hmm. feel light. And, you know, a lot of them fight, fight professionally or that's their goal if they're not quite here, there yet. So they uh, they understand how to push each other and whatnot. So it's been fun since we started that. I, I wonder how long ago. It's been maybe a month or two, two months maybe. Yeah, because you said it's, it's people from several different gyms just yeah, looking for the we, similar bodies, right? Yeah, and we have a, a few of them are our guys from in-house. Uh, but, you know, if you only had a training session with three or four guys, it's not not quite as great as having multiple people the same size. And there's just some contextual things that get missed. For any of us, if we're constantly training with people that are so far outside of the realm of what we're actually going to be facing. So if you're a medium-sized person, you get a lot of rounds that make sense. If you're an outlier, either big or small, there's 
there's some stuff that's missed. So it's been really enjoyable for them. And interestingly, a lot of those guys that you saw yesterday have fought each other already, but they're still, still cool and still able to get in and get work from each other. It seems like if you got disgruntled as like a regional level amateur fighter with people you fought, you'd run out of friends real quick. Yeah. But I have no a, sense of Yeah, that. exactly. It's a, it's a really small community. Right. So you end up, I think, really being friends with a lot of the people you fight. Less so now that it's getting to be more saturated, but being that we're all like kind of in the Twin Cities area, there's yeah. just, you're going to cross paths a lot. Right. And it's just more training. Mm-hmm. I want to train with you. Ex- we'll, we'll, well both we'll exactly. both be better, right? Come the come the show. Yeah, exactly. So it's fun too because they have different strengths, you know, especially training different places. And I think they, it, it's helping everybody kind of grow in a good way. It's interesting too talking to them after the first first couple times. They're really tired, and it makes a lot of sense because if you say you're a person who's one sixty, and every round you did your whole life for the most part was with somebody who was one ten. And occasionally you'd get another 160. Like, of course, then you do a whole 12 rounds with somebody your size. It's going to be exhausting. But they're in good shape now. They've been there. There's one guy who was new, and you might have been able to tell because you could tell he's not not quite used to the the pace. Right, right. Yeah. I was impressed with just how long. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can talk rest periods and how long you're actually sparring for, but just the length of the whole session, just being a bigger dude. I was like, oh yeah, this is a long uh, this is a long session. Yeah, definitely. I think. We did something like 12 rounds of sparring and uh, and then maybe it was like four or five rounds of clinch. So, yeah, it was a lot of rounds for them. But they're, you know, we're doing it like once a week. It's not every day, so they're not getting too worn down. Right, right. It seems like my very limited exposure, just trying to take pictures of boxing, it seems like one session of sparring, quote-unquote, is going to look and feel dramatically different than another, whether or not there's kicks, whether or not we have agreed upon like percentage of yes, force absolutely. and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the boxing, a lot of boxing gyms go pretty hard. Um, in, in that they're throwing at, at a higher percentage of whatever their, their actual fight power would be. Mm-hmm. And when they're doing everything, like some of those guys can't, they can't kick people full out in practice period. Because if they do, stuff's breaking. Right. Like, one of the guys you saw has something like 13 head kick KOs. You can't. <laughs> He'll knock people out through the gloves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah. Yikes. So, yeah, like, I think with everything, it's got to be toned down a little bit, and then they can find the takedowns and find the timing. But the whole whole purpose of having starting that group is to keep them, you know, just have a day where they don't have to be so careful. Because if you're going with somebody 100 pounds lighter, I'm sure you know from grappling. Like, right, yeah. If an accident happens, a small person breaks. So right, right. It's stressful. It's I'm phys- sure it's stressful. physics. It's physics. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm big and heavy. We get out of position. Something goes weird. I land on you. I'm more likely to break you if you're smaller. Yeah, it's diff- you know, and and some you know, there's a time and place. Like it's it's going to happen. Like not every day is like that. Like sometimes they'll mm-hmm. work with lighter people, and a lot of them have actually like super great control. But it's nice for them to have a day to just not worry about it so much. Right. Well, and there was one smaller guy. Just right around the cutoff, right? And he yes. had said something feedback-wise that he was surprised at how tired he was just because of, like, the the forces being produced was more than, like, the pace, maybe, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's a combination of that. And then also, um, 
is a little bit more more stressful. Like yeah. understanding the you know, the power that's behind it. Like even just your structure to not tip over when there's like kind of weight behind shots or get moved around. <laughs> it just takes you gotta just you know right. it's be more, bringing a little bit more to the to table. Just, yeah. yeah. More work to just stand. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, but it's interesting to hear the smaller guy who is usually probably training faster with smaller people say how tired he was. Mm-hmm. That's not not the feedback I would have expected, but yeah, you walk it back. It right. makes makes its own version of sense. Well, right. That's a, that's just it. You don't expect to get gassed by a bunch of heavyweights, but that's what <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. When Especially once you throw the clinch in there. Mm-hmm. Like once I can lean on you, I suppose then it's a whole different gas tank. No. Yeah. Yeah, it feels different for different people. It's a little different than like, have you done much much clinch stuff or stand-up zero. grappling? Zero. This is why I'm loving this so far, because I've done zero. So. I've been punched randomly a couple times in my younger years. Fair enough. Took it like a champ. I have no yes. idea what, what was behind it, but pretty proud of those. But other than that, that's it. That seems gutsy. <laughs> Who looks at a guy your size and like, I'm going to punch that guy? A guy you should be afraid of. Yeah, I it, bet. Yeah. No, I bet. Just let him have his shot and move on with your day. <laughs> Yeah, I think, well, so they're both grappling, right? Um, but the the striking, even if you do like MMA-style rounds on the ground, adds a little bit of stress. So I think there's there's something to having to keep your heart rate down with that. But also, like, in the clinch, if you relax, um, you'll get tossed. And a couple guys got tossed. Uh, I saw that, yeah. But on the ground, you can find points where you can get on top and relax for a minute. And in the clinch... If you if you take those kind of if you find a spot where you take a mental break, especially in a room like that where they're all pushing, you're gonna get thrown. So, the the space to take mental breaks is much smaller, and and I think that's actually what people find tiring about it. That's incredibly interesting, actually. Yeah, because if I get to mount in jujitsu, I take a big old mental you can, deep breath. I go nice. totally. You can say ah, I'm gonna hang out here for five <laughs> seconds before I move or whatever. Just based on heavy, I'm okay for a second, but you can't do that Mm-mm. with knees as an option. Yeah. Even if you're in, in better position because you're standing, if, if you take that, that moment, especially with other people that are going to feel it when you do that, you can't, you'll, you'll, you'll lose it then. So we try to always finish up with some of that with them because if they're, whether they're doing Muay Thai or fighting MMA, that's an, another place that that people sometimes get worked because of that, because they're not used to being able to stay like just mentally in it, even if you're not moving at the moment. Yeah, because what it looks like is two guys leaning on each other. Right. And like in boxing, right, American boxing, Western boxing, whatever, they pull them apart. Mm-hmm. You should be pummeling each other's brains, not leaning on each other and resting. But, but nobody's going to save you in Thai boxing yeah. or MMA. Yeah. And even, yeah, I guess you'd look at it outwardly and be like, nice, they're tangled up, kind of deep breath and maybe plan your next move, but the next move is I'm about to throw you to the ground, huh? Mm-hmm. If the, if the other person's focused. But that's, yeah. that's like what we try to encourage in that room is like push each other here so that you're in the habit of it. That's why you do it last too. Everybody's mm-hmm. tired. Exactly. Because yeah. they're tired is why we do it last. Is that group a mixture of Muay Thai people, kickboxing people, MMA people? Yep. There's one guy that appeared to be a phenomenal wrestler. Yes, and he is. What's his name? Tommy Peterson. Tommy Peterson. 
Yeah, I start my camera just started following him mm-hmm. when when you said takedowns are an option if your partner agrees. Yeah, I pretty much just kind of followed him for the rest of the time I was there because it, it was a it was a clinic after that. Yeah, yeah. Is he like collegiate level wrestler before? Yep. Yeah, yeah. You can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. So it's fun. Like I want to say he's he's maybe three and zero as a pro in MMA, and he was undefeated as a an amateur. So he's working on his his um his stand up. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think he's doing a good job of, of blending the two. That's why we do kind of like a tie-style clinch at the end with takedowns. So it, everything, you know, everybody's got part of it that favors them. Right. Yeah. There's like three different games at work and everybody mm-hmm. knows a piece of it. He's, I was telling Paulie before we started that one of the guys there yesterday is the dude you'd see in the street and just kind of figure you might not want to mess with that guy. Mm-hmm. But then you'd see him display his tools and you go, yeah, I was right. I definitely don't want to mess <laughs> with that guy. I mean, you don't want to mess with any of them, right? But like, just once no, you, once you, you see a tell, guy right Yeah, going. yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're a, they're a good group though. Like they, they do, they do a good job. It's fun to, fun to be in there with them. How many different gyms are represented there? Uh, let me think about that for a second. Yeah. Today we had, or that day we had, um, I think four or five. Three guys were from, from our spot, but no, four guys were from our spot. So That's yeah. cool. I dig that. Yeah. I think that's how it should be. You see that in the Meathead crowd. Like, I generally go to this gym, but I got buddies from Meats over at that gym, so I'm going to go train there once in a while, and I go train yeah. there once in a while. That's kind of how it should be. I suppose I, it's probably different when eventually one of those people is going to want to punch you in the face. But Well, and that that's, that's always something that you got to kind of navigate, but I think other... Uh, Minnesota can be really sort of uh, like weird and territorial about those things. But if you go somewhere like uh, Vegas or LA, a lot of people move around to like, this would be the best sparring for this opponent. So I'm going over there, not I'm only going to stay in my gym and only with the people who are here and we're not Mm going to cross train unless it's a special situation. And of course you got to be like careful of things. You know, maybe this guy trains with, somebody who's who you're going to fight next and we'll cross that bridge when we come to it but a lot of them are fighting in different spots so like uh tommy peterson just fought in lfa the other two guys fight for glory kickboxing um it's a different they're spread out yeah exactly yeah. so it, it works for them to just help each other we wouldn't invite like another guy signed to the same org most likely sure I love it because I know nothing about any of this. It's like a culture I've never been exposed to. When I went oh, really? To, when I went to work and took photos last week, it's like the first time I've been in a, other than the one that Los Campeones, the meet oh, yeah. gym bought in Northeast. I was like, nice, boxing ring. Anyway, let's do squats, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It was like the closest thing to boxing I've ever had. You know, my girlfriend uh, had several fights years and years ago. We're looking oh, yeah? What'd she do, boxing? 15 plus, yeah. And some That's kickboxing, cool. amateur level, you know? Um and, counsel. Yeah, for sure. Anybody that's willing to stand up and allow us voluntarily be punched in the head, it, you got my respect, you know. Uh, so we've dabbled a little bit. You know, we got some gloves and, and different pads and stuff. But in terms of, like, being in a gym and seeing the whole show, mm-hmm. like, this week is more than I've ever seen ever. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. I suppose that is kind of a, a lot at once, isn't it? Yeah. You, you just, it's just work f- and they come fully sign, taken yeah. in, you know. And I'm mostly looking at it like the aesthetics, but you're picking up a lot as you go, just hearing your cueing of things, even in the MMA class before the sparring yesterday. You know, I actually quoted you several times in my notes app. 
because oh. I put quotes on photos when I, I put them up. Don't remember what I said. Yeah, well, that's why. That's why you write it down. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have either. That's why you write it down. Um, but the you you you're kind of half listening to coaching even at M Theory when I'm sure. shooting over there. But then also looking. The interesting thing is you get still frames of certain moments, which when I send you the picture, you don't have the context. But I do. Yeah, you and know like, when it was or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like form and whatever. And, but again, I have nothing to add relative to the striking stuff. But that's gonna be interesting. Like when, whenever you do any kind of event or or go to a venue, you're sort of the fly on the wall. Totally, especially yeah. yes, yesterday. Like nobody gave me a second look. Like I go to M Theory because a lot of people know me there, and I'll be there. Oh, with I'm the sure camera. people are like, "What's up, Matt?" Yeah, well, and then they just mug to the camera. You know, mm-hmm. mostly David Scora. Which he didn't the whole time, <laughs> strangely. That's so funny. he was he was super focused, but He's, like nobody gave me a second look, yeah. hardly. So I, like I was literally fly on the wall, just taking photos, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool, actually. Yeah, I bet you pick up a lot. Do you do any other events like um, you do jujitsu and weightlifting? Obviously, have you gone to do any other? Um, not not any too any much sports or events. Not, not too much, mostly because when I started kind of doing this, mm-hmm. it was like at the beginning of 2020, being what 2020 was. Oh, okay, like my first instagram post you know on the branded mm-hmm. account was like after lockdown okay so it's I got like you. okay now when am i gonna go take new photos you know what i mean so i was just working with stuff i had previously taken um so there's been a couple of meets powerlifting meets since then but um I'm, i want to get to any version of combat stuff so wrestling sure. you know any kind of any version of, of boxing kickboxing muay thai whatever but we need to we need to have them <laughs> so. what's hardest to shoot so far boxing that's why i sought it out this past okay. week or started seeking it out because oh, hands are fast hands are fast i don't know the sport sure you know if you see, if i can see that somebody's in spider guard looking for a sweep you know I, I can, oh okay if i move over here okay you know yeah and sometimes you can just play and get lucky right but like trying to time when jenkins was going to throw a kick Mm-hmm. nothing i got nothing i have some of the most god-awful attempted photos of a leg being pulled back like i just sure. i couldn't catch it because i just other than being a super filthy casual once in a while we watched the mike tyson card back in the day yeah, and yeah. a little bit of mma over the years i just don't have any eye or or understanding of that sport yet so that's I why I, I, i've been showing up just to try to to get some take it in sure you should come play with us sometime what do you mean Come in and kick around a little bit. No, no. Right. Somebody's gonna take pictures. <laughs> oh sure, I'm just saying <laughs> it would provide context. I uh, totally, yeah. It's it's like on the list, but. Oh, oh, this for me. Oh, you made? Did you make what I think you made? I screenshotted that list of things I didn't know, and I sent it to him, and he knew what it was. Did you know what a Johnny Jump Up was? Boilermaker, okay. Oh, yeah. See, you said that in the text back, and I'm like, was there something I didn't even see on there? I don't know. It's glorious. Thank you. It's strong, though. <laughs> I don't really drink often, so. And don't drink a lot. Forgive it, me yeah. if my filter goes. Oh, I'm not complaining. Well, that wasn't a complaint. It was just a comment. That's a damn good cider, too. I like that one. Yeah, it's really good. What is it? Freewheeler from sociable kind of the same as the whiskey thing it's like not it's not too sweet sometimes the ciders just get a little little too much yeah that's one of their dry ones that even yeah dry mm-hmm. apple on there it's good 
a lot of ciders are a little too much. When did you open that gym? Uh, we opened the gym two weeks before the first shutdown. March 2nd. Oh, is it that new? It's I was thinking new. you were around. I've been around, well, but, but I, mean, I opened my gym. Yeah, that place. I was thinking that place you had been around sir. over there. Yeah, two weeks before the shutdown. How's it going? Great. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah? But yeah? Good, good. Not complaining. I, I think there's something to, um, this is my theory anyway, if, you, if you're willing to risk getting punched in the mouth, you're maybe a little bit more willing to risk training um, during a pandemic. I was like thinking that exact same thing and not even pandemic, just tough economic times and pick, yeah. your, pick your stressor. People who handle stressors are going to handle that stressor, right? Yeah, because um, I know some other types of gyms have, have really had a tough time. It might partly be the demographic. Like we have a little bit younger demographic than, like, say, CrossFit gyms and stuff like that. But, right, right. Um, and it's harder to do at home. Like, you, you might invest in a barbell. You're not going to yeah. invest in a well, – you buy yourself a training partner to have right. there. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. you could. <laughs> you, can, you can train any kind of fighting by yourself, but you're kind of kidding yourself. Yeah, it's certainly not. And, and I think, like, uh, so many of us – really enjoy the social aspect of martial arts training you know uh there's something to be said about uh, about that that human connection you get from it that i think it's pretty tough to replace yeah totally a quite literal human connection and a lot of <laughs> yeah like i'm attached to you right now right well and how many other situations i was reading something recently about how rarely Americans touch each other, like just even, yeah. even say we're just, you know, two women are friends and they're out to brunch. And they said like French women will touch an average of like something crazy, like 80 times in a three hour brunch and American women is like five uh, men. It's even less, obviously. Right. Mm. And that's a, that's a pretty interesting thing. I think maybe some people, you're certainly not consciously thinking about that when you think about martial arts training, but it's an important part of our psychological health, right? Yeah. It's also a different strand of friendship building for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, with training partners, they see you at your best and your worst and still accept you. And that's, that's pretty cool. I think they're kind of there through, you know, they see you in your, your everyday and you, you fail or you do really well. And, having people who are supportive through all that is is a pretty cool thing and not everybody does it so i think like there's more to it than just the, the fighting stuff for sure did you have a gym before this one i was at uh i did not i managed um a private personal training gym in uptown mm -hmm. for about four years before i moved to los angeles for a while i wasn't real happy with where my fight career was going uh, and I was there like a year and a half and I ended up moving back and I was at the Academy. I started there when I was 18 or 19, 19 years old, maybe at the Academy. Mm -hmm. That's where I was in Minnesota, except for, apart from the year and a half in Los Angeles. And then I came back in 20, 2016, early 2016. And I was there up until we, we moved over. Nice. Mm -hmm. It's a long time. Do you always want to have a gym? I knew I would eventually, for Seems sure. Seems to be like kind of on everybody's list, even if it's on the long end of the list. Yeah. Well, and that's just like everything, right? It was always a someday. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been 
fighting a long time and I knew I was like, ah, I'd like to open a gym a year or two before I retire so that I can kind of use the fight, the momentum mm-hmm. from fights to build the gym. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Right. Um, and being like young enough and fresh enough to still help fighters develop because there's some things, and you know this with jujitsu too, I can tell somebody something all I want, but it's different to make them feel it by doing it to them and, mm. and showing them that way. <laughs> and well, you know, 100%. it's like, it's like try to try to describe like, yeah. like really good, um, pressure from side mount. Yeah. Uh, you can describe it, but it's not the same thing as if right. somebody feels what it feels like. Yeah. Um, or, so or, or like half of that pressure. Like, let's talk about managing our intensity today. Absolutely. Right. This is what yeah. is appropriate and, right. and being able to show that. And I think that's a difficult thing to do if you, if you wait super long. So I think, uh, I think it's important in opening a gym to do so while you're still at a stage where you can, you can teach your, uh, more senior students that because right. eventually you're not going to be able to do that to the same degree. And, uh, especially like things with striking, like teaching people about pressure fighting and stuff like that. You, you have to have a certain amount left in the tank, I think, to make somebody feel that. So uh, I, know, I know we wanted to open, you know, before we were both past that point. Who's we? Uh, have you met Ryan Murray yet? He was out of town this weekend. That's why you haven't met him. Um, he was at M3 several weeks ago. You, yeah. You, you brought him in. He's about, yeah, yeah, big guy and too, like we've about connect, Yeah, we've connected on social media and stuff. So Yeah. So, so you guys been, own it together. We own it together. We've been together like 15 years. 15 years, February 4th. It's nice. a long time. Yeah. And he was, uh, was so scandalous. He was my first uh, first class I ever took at the academy. He was the instructor. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know that that's scandalous so much <laughs> as it is like. No, I pursued him. So well, but, but then also just like kind of more commonplace you know what i mean like where oh do you, yeah where do you meet people it's where you go that's where you meet exactly them. like if you're living in the gym and plus mm-hmm. we moved in together really fast though and i think part of that was just we had such a sim- weird training partners he was still amateur at the time but he was fighting a lot and i was just getting into uh fighting tie boxing and we just had such a similar lifestyle it was so easy it was just like I was laundry and cutting weight and yeah. it just made it just the, made it really easy. Yeah, the things that would be foreign and frustrating and weird to quote unquote and, normal people oh, were just normal to you. And yeah, like dating uh trying to date and I even remember this from way back then. Trying to date somebody who doesn't understand like that level of commitment, first of all, and that would be true with anything, right? Like that'd be true if I was powerlifting or if mm-hmm. you were like a triathlete, mm-hmm. yeah. if somebody doesn't understand the commitment you need to, to get to the level you want, that's a problem anyway. But then somebody who doesn't understand the relationships you have with your teammates and coaches, because that, I mean, you see this a lot. It's like a really big source of jealousy um, or can be for people in relationships when they're, also training because the physical contact is weird to people who don't also do it. So, yeah. Uh, and then not to mention like time, it's a time lot of time away. With those people. Yeah. And if you're a woman dating men, like he comes in and sees the gym and he's like, all these guys can beat me up and they're in super <laughs> good shape. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it can be stressful. Yeah. Uh, and then 
even even if she's totally in love with the guy, it's still a source of contention where it's it's just somebody else who's in the industry gets it all. It's so easy. So I think almost everybody who's who's like what I would term a lifer, where it's like mm-hmm. you're doing it teens to early twenties for the rest of your life, like they end up with someone else who's in there. And it's not that for any other reason than just I think the understanding sometimes. And I think it helps you develop a lot as a person, which makes somebody really like kind of lovely to be around. Yeah. Even just the shared experience of a week's worth of ghee laundry. Right. <laughs> just just the small details of life. Exactly. You know, I just can imagine like, oh. a lot of people, just from my own perspective, a lot of gals being like, what the hell is that pile of nonsense over there? You know. No, I'm sure. And the time and the, oh my goodness. I mean, like I said, I started dating him when I was young, but even prior to that, I just, I remember one guy like making me watch him do one-handed pull-ups after he had come and watch a training session. Like just nonsense, just nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) So find the right person. Yeah. That's Caitlin's dating advice. Well, I would, I would say find the right person (laughs) and and somebody who's secure. That's the biggest thing. And it it doesn't always look like what you think it's going to look like. And someone who does your same shit. That makes it really easy, yes. but I don't even think that's necessary. Oh, I just okay. think it's, I, you know what I think it is? I think it's somebody who has their own shit. So they're not so focused on what your shit is. Brilliant. I love it. It could be anything. Yeah. But it's got to be like, they've got a pursuit. They've got a pursuit. So they understand your sacrifice. People with pursuits understand people with pursuits. I yeah. Drink that. It's really strong. Is it, well, I'm already losing my filter. Okay, don't drink it then. I mean, drink the fine. other one. That one is really weak. Can I hit listen to this before you put it out? So you're a fighter, and that means yeah. fighter, fighter. Like when people say fighter, I had a fight. I picture MMA or boxing. I fight MMA. Um, yeah. I I love Muay Thai more though. Always. That's your that's your earliest love. love. Yeah. How many? Not Muay- my earliest, but it's my favorite. Okay. How many Muay Thai fights have you had? Twenty-eight. Something like that. No, is that like amateur pro? I don't. Again, I'm not. Uh, nine or ten were Amy. Last eighteen were pro. Jesus. Oh, it's so awesome! Like it, it's the greatest sport. Better than bowling? I'm a big bowling guy. Better than bowling? Really? In the last year, I've really gotten into bowling, and it's pretty awesome. I mean. I don't know the nuances of bowling, so I suppose I shouldn't speak poorly. And I don't know the nuances of Muay Thai. But uh, but yeah, I love Muay Thai. Um, I it, to be honest, I never would have fought MMA if Muay Thai was an option for me here in America. Oh, so it's not the most accessible thing here in Minnesota. No, there's just uh, no. Well, we've been working really hard to make it accessible in Minnesota. Um, like I do matchmaking for a local promotion for and and they were originally only MMA show. Jeremy Bjornberg, I don't know if you know him. He's awesome. Hmm. Uh, I had asked him. I was like, well, he had asked me if I wanted to fight MMA. I had taken a hiatus from MMA fighting when I moved out to after shortly after I moved out to LA. I went back to just Muay Thai. Uh, Jeremy during that time asked me if I wanted an MMA fight, and I said, "Well, no, but if you give me a Muay Thai fight, I'll do it." And that's how we started doing Muay Thai in Minnesota. That's where all the meccas began. And then I eventually ended up matchmaking for him and and doing like the undercard but we were doing it's tough to get matched there man we were doing open call outs on the internet like 
who's in America that will fight me at 140. And we got some awesome opponents, man. It was awesome. Just because there's always somebody out there, right? Somebody will. Like, one of them was, uh, her name is Claire Baxter. She's awesome. She lived in Thailand for a long time, trained at Santai. She's an Aussie. But she was in America for some reason. I forget exactly why. She happened to be here. Or was going to be here when we we had asked about it. And she she's a killer. She has a bunch of belts in Thailand. So we had like super fun fight. Um, so we got some fights that way. But I haven't been able to get matched in, in striking here for probably since 2017 or so. Weird. I tried to get it a left way fight. It seems weird to me. Yeah. Like. Well, part of it is the money in Muay Thai yeah. isn't that good. And, and, and really MMA for women... MMA is one of the top sports as far as like equality of pay goes for professional sports, period, for women, Um, but especially combat sports. And any woman, then what happens is, why would I fight? Why would I do jujitsu, stay in jujitsu? Why would I stay in boxing? Why would I stay in Thai boxing when I'm going to make a fifth of what the guys are making? I can go into MMA and match it. I still get to do my sport to some degree. I just have to learn this other stuff. So you go to MMA. But it crushes the other sports for women in the area. It sucks. And when you say the area, you mean Minnesota, but I mean also America. just America. Yeah. Well, not even America. I mean the world is actually what I mean. Yeah. There's nowhere in the world that, except for American MMA where women are paid the same. Uh but yeah, and in any case, in Thailand too, you can fight frequently, but they it's it's kind of like 1950s U.S. And to some degree over there. Um, and, and really, like, even prior to 2012, women's MMA was a lot like that here. But then Invicta came on the spot. Ronda came on the spot. They started proving that women were a draw, and then things changed. But prior to that, and in pretty much every other country in the world, if you're female, you're going to be paid like peanuts compared to the guys. Is Rhonda one of like the most highest paid or something yeah. like that? Far and away the highest paid female. I, I was thinking just of, of fighters in general though. Or is yep, she? in fighters in general, yeah. Yeah, I remembered something about that. Yep, fighters in general, but, but uh, women in particular, yeah. Yeah, no, she did, um, when she came on the scene, like she was really dominant, which was awesome, but was exciting. Talked a lot of shit, and people kind I think unfairly disliked her. They wouldn't to the same degree for men. But regardless, if people are watching you because they want to see you win or lose, they're watching you. Right, and it's um, the bad publicity thing. Exactly, no such thing. And it was a big deal. So that happened. She was doing that in Strike Force and, and causing all kinds of stuff. But also, Invicta came on the scene at the time, and I was on their inaugural card. At that time, like I had mentioned about Elite XC, it was actually pro elite, but on TV it was Elite XC. At that time, organizations were going under. There were no women's divisions. Like, you'd get a random female fight on any card, but you never went somewhere and there were, like, rankings or women's divisions. Almost everybody just met at 135 because it was like, ah, we're all, we all can get there one way or another, so we'd meet. But it wasn't, it's not like now where there's a 105, 115, 125. It wasn't like that. So Invicta came on, and their first, it was one or two shows they did free on the internet. But what they did is they got all the top-ranking, they signed all the top-ranking women around the world, right? International, they were getting visas for people, all that stuff. 
and they put it on the internet free. And then when they went to make it pay-per-view, like two shows in, they crashed the server the first time. And then they crashed the server the second time. And to the point that she had to refund more than a million dollars to people. She who? Shannon Knapp. She's the CEO of Invicta. Say it again. Shannon Knapp is her name. She's Good. CEO of Invicta. And she had worked with Strikeforce. Um, she put together that massive heavyweight tournament years back. So she, she had been in the game a long time. Uh, but I think got a little fed up and decided to start making making something happen for the ladies, seeing them kind of be like a sideshow. Like, oh, here's here's one female fight on every card. It was a part of it before, but she made it a sport for yeah. women. And that happened at the same time that like Rhonda was coming through and being such a draw. And, and really, those two things convinced Daddy Dana that Oh shit! This makes money, <laughs> and now and now we have a sport that is one of the few where, especially if you look at experience and drawing power, is is one of the few where it's actually like real similar pay as far as professional sports well, and go. You, and you, that jab you take at what you call him, Daddy Dana, mm-hmm. is like you can find video interviews of him saying women will never be a hundred percent like several different many times yeah but you know suddenly, guys suddenly guys like that there's a green hue in the sky and then oh let's yeah well in. you know they bow down to the almighty dollar mm-hmm. always of course so so yeah like those two things sort of um sort of spurred that which is awesome but so many other women's combat, so many other combat sports are still prior to that point. May as well be prior to that point. Right. Which is silly. Somebody could go in and do it. Oddly, we, uh, my girlfriend and I, we watched the first two episodes of The Queen's Gambit yesterday. I haven't seen that yet, but everyone says it's Man, so good. They, they definitely did, and so far, so good, for real. Like, I'm always skeptical of hype about shows and movies, you know? I usually let it die down for a while. Sure. But that's that's central to the plot line right off the bat is like, well, we don't really have a women's division, you, you know, mm-hmm. you just, I mean, it's chess, but why would it matter, right? You know? No, but they do but, make that. But yeah, yeah. And, and it was just sort of like, all right, there's this girl, mm-hmm. go, you know, and you can tell they're playing that same plot line that's currently playing out and has played out in so many other areas. Yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but here it's just awesome. Definitely good so far. Like I say, we're two episodes in, but it's worth it. All right. So Netflix, right? Get on Netflix? It. Yeah, I think this, I think so. Queen's Gambit, Polly. Netflix. Have you watched yeah. it? You have? Is it good? Be honest. Slow. Not going to hurt my feelings? Yeah, like mm. I, I, I like slow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was 2012 about that happened. So the a lot of Invictus changed. thing was 2012? Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was on their inaugural show, and we, uh, I had a, a fight that ended up being a super tough, but a good fight on that first one uh, against a woman named Leslie Smith, um, who ended up in the UFC, but now she's in, I think she's in Bellator now. Um, and that was was great for us. I fought there for a while longer. And then uh, went on a slide, realized, like, I was having some kind of mental block fighting. And then 
uh, I should probably try some some different coaching and whatnot. And I moved to Los Angeles, and I was out there a year and a half. Did it work? Yeah, it was great, but not what I thought it was going to be. What do you mean? So the gym I ended up going to. So some some friends of mine had already moved out there. Um, Shayna Baszler and Jessamyn Duke. They both were on an episode, uh, a season of The Ultimate Fighter, because mm-hmm. all the women were starting to get receive at that time. They were on a season of The Ultimate Fighter that Ronda was coaching, and they became really good friends with her at the time. So they were like, hey, you should come out and visit. Went out and hung out with them. Uh, loved it, and then Ryan and I ended up moving out there. Uh, and it didn't really click for me with the MMA stuff, but I randomly met uh, a Thai trainer named Carpet Petrachapat like visiting another gym that was close by. I was like, ah, I just want to do some Thai boxing. Cause I moved out there, lost one more fight. And I was like, okay, so clearly that wasn't it. Started training with him. And, uh, that was pretty cool. Like it, it was a different kind of training than I had ever done. And with like a different approach, like I had been doing Thai boxing before, but I didn't realize how much was different from, from more like the traditional Thai style and, and true Thai boxing, like right from Thailand. Like when I started training with him, he didn't, he knew like right, left and could count, count to 10 in English. I mean, it was, it was barely anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was pretty awesome. And then uh, I started at that gym. I started by going like once or twice a week. And then he'd always ask, you know, are you coming tomorrow? So I started training more and man, like he would push me super hard. And then we started doing, uh, he'd say, Hey, let's train in the morning. So eventually we ended up doing two a days and the gym that he was at at the time had some legal issues, was forced to close. And he said to all of us, we had like a small group. There's maybe like eight of us. And he said, listen, and most of them were pros. I think at the time he said, listen, I'll train you guys um, if you just meet me at the beach at 7 a.m. I know you can't pay me because he was still trying to work because he was, like, obviously not making anything at this gym that closed. Yeah. And uh, I was the only one that ever showed up. So I got, like, twice a day training with him for maybe uh, – I ended up staying. Ryan hated it there, so he moved back. But I stayed another eight months and trained with him twice a day. And that's when my Thai boxing, like, I was working at the UFC gym. So we'd train at the beach in the morning. You know, Los Angeles, the weather's nice enough. You can. And then we'd go train at UFC gym at night. And then I made my lion fight debut in October. Like, all that started around March-ish. I went, what, 12-2 and as a pro in Thai boxing. And then I ended up coming back to MMA shortly after moving back to Minnesota. And that was largely an accessibility move once you were back here. It's not a lot of opportunities for tie fights. No, I think it was more, it had occurred to me that my, my, my biggest problems in MMA were mental. And I felt like I had overcome that in tie boxing. Uh, so I wanted to see if I could transfer it. And? It was good. I've gotten like four in one since and I was on a four fight slide before I left. Sure. It's a dramatic so, turnaround, yeah. Yeah, it was a dramatic change. Um, For, as an outsider, seeing that if you were just like looking through your fighting record, you'd be like, what the hell happened? Oh, yeah, at, and, at, and, at and you can see it point? because it's like, 
I, w- I have four wins and then four losses. And I won a couple and then four losses. So I was super bad. Uh, stretch there. And then, and then it went up. But I, but I think like that's part of the thing with, with true, uh, Thai style training. And part of it's such the experience, right? Like they, so many people over there have hundreds of fights. We're not talking like 10 or whatever. And the people training people have hundreds of fights and have seen thousands of fights. I, I think they understand the psychological aspects of it much better. Physical too, but it's the psychological stuff that matters. Uh, or matters in, in to me, I guess, or what was my problem, right? Right. So I think... Uh, There's definitely the lore of Thai boxing in Thailand and fighting over there is that... Yeah. There's just people on the street who fought hundreds of times. And, and, and going over there was a big deal for me, too. I went the first time in 2016 after moving back to Minnesota... And, so you uh, got connected with like an actual, what do you call someone from Thailand? A Thai. A Thai. You yeah. got connected with a Thai, mm-hmm. trained, came back here, and then and decided to go. And I still fly in, yeah. And you, but you decided to go to Thailand shortly after moving He's, out here? Yeah, he, so he sent me to the gym that he trained at when he was fighting in the stadiums, which um, if you'd never been to Thailand or done training over there, so there's a big difference between like the tourist gyms and the stadiums. <laughs> Just the fact that it has a name indicates that to me. Like, you, yeah, you understand what I'm saying. This so, is like, the stadiums got it. Um, and the industry is very different there. Like, the kids start young, six, seven, eight. Like, uh, Carpet, my trainer started when he was ten years old, fighting professionally and helping to support his family. So, it, they start so young, but the yeah, what age? Ten years old. Oof. So, like, by the time. Oof. Yeah, like by the time that they're 25, they're just so amazing, though. Yeah. Um, you're the seasoned old veteran at 22 years old. But you're young, yeah. yeah but you and, still, yeah. and the understanding of how to train and how to play, because they, they will often, especially early, will fight weekly sometimes. You can't get banged up in the gym. So, like, their understanding about about how to train effectively and really like effectively for fighting is, is so much more intimate and, um, and getting that experience, I think, and even thinking about how to, how to transfer it to my own fighting, even if what I'm doing here is MMA was so incredibly valuable because fighting is fighting. Like it's still ultimately what we're doing is we're going in there trying to break the will of somebody else it's not like gymnastics right where you you have this balance beam and you got to do and of course you have to control your own mind but you have to do this thing perfectly with fighting with jujitsu anything that's where you're locking horns with somebody it's also can I make them quit it's not just about what I can do it's about what I can do in relation to what they can do and who can withstand it more and uh, I forgot where I was going with that. In any case, I think you landed there, sister. I got to be honest. That <clears throat> I was about to interject as a as a bad habit of mine and be like, and that's why I'll never be good at jujitsu or fighting. <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> but but I think barbells like, don't fight back, man. <laughs> there there's a really and to any sport there's a psychological piece, but I think that's something. In America, we like to think of our physical and our mental as separate, mm-hmm. and they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
they're, they're far more intertwined than we like to think. So uh, I think like gaining that perspective was a, a really important thing for me in terms of not just my ability as a fighter, but, it, but it's really helped me understand coaching a lot better than I ever did before. When was your last fight? July. How'd it go? Good. I won a, a decision. Um, so here's another one. I was, I had a pretty good injury going into that fight. Uh, and you hear people talk about that a lot. Like, oh, I was injured. Yeah, okay, everybody's injured in combat sports. Yeah, I was practicing punching and getting punched. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some injuries. Yeah. yeah, things aren't perfect, right? So you yeah. get used to how much of my ability... You know, it's like if I can be mentally on, even if I'm not 100% physically on, if I can be, if I can be 100% of my 85% rather than be 60% of my 100%, I'm still better off, right? And I, I think that's a big thing you learn from fighting. And it's, a, it's an important thing for life. So going into that one, I, I was, had a tough time. I had a tough weight cut because I couldn't run. Um, but we made it. It was weird because the pandemic, we got locked in the hotel room, made everything a little bit more difficult because we, once we got tested, we couldn't leave. So cutting weight in a bathtub, not being able to run or do anything like that was unpleasant to say the least. Plus, I was kind of, you know, we all enjoyed ourselves, I think, during the quarantine. And it was pretty <laughs> short after. So, you know, uh, but I think it it worked it worked out well. I, li- I like, I personally like my opponent. Here's the other thing that's, that's always interesting about fighting for Invicta for me is I worked as their matchmaker for a couple of years, uh, while I was doing tie boxing because they don't have tie boxing yet. Um, mm-hmm. and with it being MMA, it wasn't a, with me tie boxing and it being MMA, it wasn't a conflict of interest. As soon as I went back to MMA, it was a conflict. So I stepped down. But in any case, I think I had signed her or re-signed her or something a couple of years before, yeah. which is just funny. But yeah, I, cool. I like her personally a lot. Uh, she, Her name is Latoya Walker, and she's a firefighter out of Houston or Dallas, somewhere down in Texas. Sure. Uh, but she got some heavy hands, and everybody <laughs> she's fought, she's like she puts a lot of pressure on them, and, and she got them moving back. So we wanted to go into that fight like – thinking about technically what we could t- uh, exploit in somebody who had a traditional boxing background because she was a Golden Gloves champ before she went into MMA. And and anytime somebody's really good at something, yes, they're really good at that and you have to worry about that. But there are habits that come with that, especially if it's in, from another sport. Um, and you like she's going to have great head movement, but maybe not real good in the clinch comparatively. Or their thing. stance will be... Okay, yeah. Ideal for boxing, yeah, but it yeah. opens them up to low kicks or something like sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. So we tried to understand what her habits were going to be under pressure and exploit them. And it and I think our game plan worked pretty well. But she was tough, man. Like, she did not uh, – there were shots I hit her with that have put other people down for sure. Um, but it was it was a cool experience. And, and I, like I said, I – I like her. It was fun. I hope I see her fight again soon. But but it went about about like we wanted to. I got pretty tired because I ended up cutting, I think because I ended up cutting a lot of weight, a lot more than I wanted. But it, but it was good. Do you think that different means of that cutting, like more time in a steamy bathroom in the bathtub, affected it negatively? 
No, I just I just think Yeah. I just think eighteen pounds the week of is too much. Oh I yeah. agree. Yikes. You you get a lot of that in the meathead community too, like cutting for powerlifting meats mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and I've never never once. Like I I'd rather just be lined up against a bigger dude, I think. Yeah, well like, that would break my spirit more than anything my opponent would throw at me, I think. I well and she yeah, like I think uh, it was also not being because the the nature of the injury I had, I couldn't run the last ten days. And sometimes people think that running is just for cardiovascular fitness, but mm-hmm. a lot of what it is for fighting, and especially somebody who's going to try to stay on the feet like I will, is um, the muscular endurance. Yeah. So I think I I think I maybe could have put her away in the third, but I didn't have enough endurance to still crack like I should have in the third. Sure. So I I was out pointing but it didn't have have as much power as I could have otherwise had I think had I been more responsible about the breakfast pizzas if you mentioned <laughs> earlier uh, just being honest the, it's one of yeah. the worst days of everybody's <laughs> life when they realize not only can you eat pizza for breakfast there is breakfast pizza oh boy so that was your last fight what tell me mm-hmm. about like your favorite fight Oh man, that's like really the, hard like, to choose. Or maybe even like the most memorable moment of one. Like, yeah, don't get too picky. But yeah, like n- picking one is really difficult. Like, because they're different, and and even the bad moments you learn a lot from. Maybe your favorite loss. How about that? Ooh, I, I like that better. My like, favorite loss. Yeah. Time you got it handed to you or something. I got my ass handed to me in Australia. So. Um, that sounds right for some reason. <laughs> some, <laughs> some countries, you know. Oh Thailand, my goodness. Australia. <laughs> It was a K1 rules fight, and it was in Australia. Tell, tell me what K1 rules mean. What's that uh, mean? K1 is like you can. It's kickboxing, but you only get one knee, and you can't clinch long, so you get to grab them one time a knee. There are no elbows, which which I tend to like to use for for Thai boxing MMA. But 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 in any case, um, it's still a fun style to fight. So I had taken it on shorter notice. I want to say two three weeks. Um, I didn't fly to directly to Australia. I went to Bangkok first to finish up training, so I was in the same same time zone or whatever, or closer to it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I went down to fight her, and I was in shape, but not in great shape. Though, the, uh, to be honest, I don't even think that's what it was. I think I was just, I don't know, off that day. And she's tough. Her name is Steph Glue, and she's about six feet tall. And we fought at one forty-seven or something like that. Tall with great knees, and um. The first round was okay. The second round, something happened. I was like, man, my face is numb. That's weird. I haven't been hit that much yet. You know, because, like, if you take a lot of abuse, it's, it's normal for your cheek to go numb or something, but it sure. was weird. Okay. Um, third round, she caught me, and I think I had some bad habits because I had been training mostly MMA at that time, and your stance will be lower, and you'll be, like, your torso will be at a different angle, but it sets you up for, like, gorgeous knees especially mm-hmm. if they're taller mm-hmm. that's where they want your chin oh to be, man right? yeah. uh so she hit me with a knee to the liver in the third round and it it laid me out man <laughs> and uh i was like okay like it's just a body shot you can get up because you can always get up from body shots by the way like it's gonna hurt but you can and um i remember getting up and being like fuck he's on five already like because i'm getting counted out you know oh, yeah yeah and then I went, I just survived the rest of the round trying to cover. I remember, I remember like checking her, which is where you, um, cause she, she knew my liver was hurt and she was just after it. And, um, 
<laughs> I remember like getting her to kick my shin, which is what you do when you want somebody to stop kicking you. It's how you check in Thai boxing and it must have hurt because then she backed off with her leg at least and it was just punches, but it, she was smelling blood for sure. And then the fourth round, I was still getting back on my bicycle. I was just surviving through it. Fourth round, fifth round. Uh, so I was in her hometown. I came back and like finally was like able to start going again and I uh, put pressure on her. And there was a point where the hometown crowd went silent and I knew I was winning the round mm-hmm. at the end. But yeah. it didn't matter. It wasn't enough. Yeah, Still yeah. lost. Still <laughs> lost. And I had a broken orbital. So I ended up getting tra- trapped in Australia for three weeks because you can't fly with a broken orbital. So it was a epic disaster. Yeah. But it was one of my favorite fight moments. Sure. One of the better stories, huh? Mm-hmm. Plus you got three weeks vacation in Australia. You know, it was stressful though because yeah, like yeah. they tell you like we don't know when you're going to be able to fly. We don't know if you're going to have surgery. Oh, yeah. But yeah. So basically what I did, I hung out there and ended up just trying to eat good food and going to like all these wildlife parks for 3 weeks cuz I was sure. like what am I going to do? I'm yeah. on an island. I'm right. not going to try to take a boat back to America. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a good story for sure. I love that it started with I was in Australia. Oh yeah, but she tore me up, man. It was it was something like, and it was it was one of those where it, like I really had to dig deep not to stay down. Like mm-hmm. fighters quit all the time, and they're not always honest with themselves about when they're quitting. I've done it, you know. And it's, it's a tough thing to in in previous fights, right? It's a tough thing to admit. And I think um, that's why I like it not quitting in that moment and mounting an offense afterward, uh, an effective offense afterward, even if it didn't get the job done. Yeah. It's a triumphant thing. Even in if, a weird way, it was yeah. still lost yeah, and it was yeah. still a disaster, but, but you know, a, but big, it was good. A, a big loss is still a cool thing. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, that knee, I, my body, my like stomach wasn't right for months after that. I don't know what happened, but it was brutal. She yeah. rearranged the organs. Oh, in there for, for real. It, it was horrible. <laughs> The liver shot, it's like you feels like you're going to die for like 90 seconds and then it usually goes away. <sighs> like your insides are exploding. Like it's not it's not even a getting hit in the liver is not even like it's not a choice. Your body just goes down. It's like an off button. Ryan says <laughs> Ryan describes it to me as the closest thing to getting hit in the nuts that you could describe to a woman okay. because there's like a yep. delay. Yeah. And then it hits and your body's just like, protect the organ. And it doesn't care about anything yep. else that could be happening. You could be getting kicked in the face. It doesn't yeah. care about anything else that's happening to you. You just curl yep. up around it. See all the head nodding that's and, happening oh, and right now. Me noise. and Paulie, like, yeah. <sighs> it's like a, it's like a involuntary exhale. Yeah. And yeah. it's the same noise every time. It's like a death rattle. Mm-hmm. It's a liver punch rattle. Yeah. It's horrible. Oof. Have you ever had it happen yet? Oh my goodness! Is it? Well, yeah. Is that the shot that Cormier took with in the last remember. one? With Stipe, Stipe caught him, and you saw that wince. And brushing up on my internal anatomy here, I'm pretty sure that was the shot. Could have been. When you see a guy like that wince, you, everyone in the whole stadium was just like, "Uh oh." Yeah, it could have been because it wouldn't have been just later. like getting his wind knocked out. I bet it was. Right, yeah. Yikes. Yeah, you could see like a change in his posture. He was like. Saw that. <laughs> we're we're done here, buddy. And it, that was the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have, Polly, I have someone here if you want. 
that could help you experience that liver punch if you're open to it. You get a little more beer or in drink. you, and then we'll Just try Just abuse it. the liver from both ends, systemically yeah, right. and physically. <laughs> but yeah, oh my yeah, goodness, that's a cool liver story. shots are, are, are so unpleasant. But I, but and it, it feel like the first time it happens, it does feel like uh, like something's really wrong. And sometimes you'll hear <laughs> it's, it's funny when it happens to somebody for the first time because you'll they'll sometimes say stuff like that because they've just it feels so bad and it feels like it's everywhere inside your torso. It creates a panic like, attack. Something's really wrong. Something's wrong. Something you know, like call the ambulance. <laughs> like and then it goes away. It, yeah. It's it's like a cloud. Um, I'm just sort of dissipating. Yeah. So bizarre. Uh, I'm going to take your word on it. Okay. I'll go ahead and just assume the description. Um, was that the baddest motherfucker you ever fought? Man, that's a, that's a tough... It's, I'm I've sure had it's a lot a, of fights. No, yeah. the, the, the baddest bitch I ever fought was, uh, I think, was this, this chick in Thailand. Who, um, Again, that makes is exactly what I would have expected you to say. So she, I think, you know, like everybody, there are people that are tough in different ways, but there, there was a moment in this fight that really stuck out to me. And she, uh, her name was Daudan. And she, I was fighting her in some stadium in, um, I think, Bangalore, down in Phuket, which is like a touristy area. And a lot of, as you can imagine, like I'm not small by American women's standards. So when I go fight Thai women, there's just not many makes sense that's not like a complete and total mismatch and a lot of that happens over there when people go fight there which is terrible but in any case um but she's a bigger Thai woman and I I remember she's a lefty southpaw the fight started and usually like I feel pretty comfortable in the clinch and she was just ragdolling me there so I was like okay I can't pressure fight like I like I normally would like to um so I had to fight her uh, backwards, like moving backwards, trying to use range, but I hit her with a right and, and there, like, they don't regulate how you wrap your hands. Like here, here, like the commission is worried about it. They're like, you do what you want. And there's some pounded out, like six ounce gloves or barely anything. You may as well be fighting them MMA gloves, honestly. Um, but I remember at one point in the fight hitting her and she hit me plenty too, but hitting her with a right hand so hard that it hurt my hand. And she, smiled and winked at me in a way that was like it was not like for show like for the other people to see you know how you see that happen sometimes and they're like ah, oh, the judges can see yeah, I'm not hurt but they're really hurt it wasn't that it was like you're gonna have to do more than that bitch <laughs> it was glorious she yeah. was super tough and if, I, if I'm 100% honest I think the reason I won that fight I won on decision was because she probably underestimated a foreigner, I think, and wasn't in great shape for it. Because that'll happen sometimes. They're like, oh, it's mm-hmm. easy foreign fighter. And losses don't have quite the same impact over there as they do here. Like, people don't take them as seriously. So I think if we were to fight again and she knew and was in shape for it, it'd be, be even harder fight than it was. But she, um, she, I think, was the scariest, like, human being I fought, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. <laughs> just to take somebody's big heat and just kind of wink and be well, like, "Well, this yeah, the smile was not for anyone else to see. It was yeah, only for me yeah, to see." Yeah, yeah. You know, 
It's not for anybody else's benefit. It's like whispering in a clinch. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it was. I'm uncomfortable and it's just you telling me about it all these years later. Like, (laughs) (laughs) So I think when you're early in your career, when you're newer, I call it like elite level grit when I'm describing it to like our younger fighters. But there, there'll come a point like, like when you're early in your career, you're going to fight a lot of people who, um, are technically really good or might even be technically better than you. But as soon as you put heat on them, they'll maybe crumble or you hit them with, with shots like that. Or it's like, Oh, I don't, I don't want any part of this. But when you, the first time you run into somebody who is not deterred by your thing that's your best that you lay people out in the gym with, you finish fights with, um, that can be really discouraging, I think, for people because there's an expectation. And this happen- and I think coaches sort of reinforce this without, without consciously thinking about it. They're like, oh, your right hand is so good or your right kick is so good. So the person develops a, a real expectation about, well, all I have to do is land this thing and this person's going to stop. Uh, and then when you fight somebody with elite level grit, they do not. And and it's the expectation that sends them on this like weird spiral where they lose that fight then, rather than just the opponent by themselves. So I I think uh, I think it's something they have to learn to deal with. But I think as a coach, it's really important to not set them up with an expectation uh, that's going to make that even harder for them. And, it's, and you see it a lot when you have somebody who comes in and rec shop, like gets a bunch of knockouts in a row, especially with the same thing. Frankly, I think that's what you saw in the uh, – did you guys watch the Sean O'Malley uh, Cheeto Vera fight by chance? That's what that was. Cheeto is not obviously a good fighter, but Sean O'Malley is used to finishing everybody. And he had in his mind, like – Cheeto sucks. He was saying it beforehand. His dumbass coach was saying it to him. So he's putting all this pressure on, right? So then when Sean starts losing to Cheeto or even loses one round to him, but Cheeto sucks. Well, my choice is to either lose to Cheeto and suck or to quit because my leg hurts. You're going to quit. And I I think that's how you inadvertently develop weakness in fighters by giving them that. Is it like a false confidence thing? Does it stem from that or is it? I don't think it's false confidence because a lot of the time they're right to be confident about it, but but giving them the belief that I don't even want to say pushing them toward the belief because I think it happens naturally if you don't kind of help guide them. Because if every time you hit somebody with your right hand, they go to sleep, you're going to develop a expectation about that right hand. And then when you hit somebody with it and they don't, oh, now what? And, and that's really stressful for people and and that's where that elite level grit comes in um my first one was leslie smith it was tough we ended up fighting to a draw but but i think in that fight i got super tired and it wasn't that i wasn't conditioned it was that i was like what is happening i'm belting this girl and she doesn't she didn't care at all and uh and that that's like a a tough thing to wrestle with and i think it can be made worse by by sometimes people like feeding into that thought or that that expectation about all you have to do is because that's not true like like fighting is fighting is weird and it's messy 
and and you can't guarantee that somebody's going to go out with you know one shot or whatever and the expectation i think is what makes it really hard for people because that's exactly it you hit somebody like that and they smile and wink at you and there there's fear you know now what am i going to do this person um and you, you and that's where like uh if they haven't yet developed like a real faith in themselves and an ability and faith in their ability to adapt and overcome it's going to be hard for them and they're they're probably going to lose that fight or quit that fight frankly that's what i've seen anyway because your best has to be enough Mm -hmm. and then when it's not now what and then especially if you add sort of a shamey thing on there like cheeto vera sucks yeah, if I've if I've diminished the other, but my best doesn't handle that other person, then I'm below them. Suddenly, yeah. I'm now down what? There. And, yeah. and then they're like shame spiraling, and they're not even fighting. They'll just oh, oh, I rolled my ankle. Like when it, when have you ever seen somebody taken out of the octagon on a stretcher for an ankle? That's not what it was all for show. It was there's an ego save. It's a fuck. L- loser's yeah. limp. Was the phrase in my head? That's a good way to put it. But oh, but I don't necessarily think it was. I mean, he's young. I don't necessarily think it's all his fault. Like the way his coach was talking about him, I think, I think sets him up for that being worse. I think it, I think it's important for especially like sometimes you don't know, and sometimes like the fighter doesn't even have to be that good. But if they're really tough, tough is hard to fight even with bad technique. Tough is hard to grapple even without good technique. So like if it's a person that won't quit, they're still a difficult person to fight. So I think that's where. Um, some of that stuff can, to your point, be really difficult because the first time somebody runs into that, if they're making any kind of value judgment about themselves, if they're not, if those things don't work, like it just turns into a mess. Yeah. So yeah, people quit on that all the time, but I think as they become more, more experienced and and believe in themselves a little more, they're like, ah, my best thing doesn't work. I'll try something else. Moving on, you know, and it's not as big a deal. Because you can slug away at Tony Ferguson, and even if he's not swinging back at you, at some point you're going to go, what the fuck, man? Mm-hmm. What and the it, Exactly, fuck? and it becomes like something more about, like, why isn't my thing working right. instead of yeah. how to make this person stop? Yeah, we stop. internalize, yeah. yeah. Maybe, it, maybe that's the issue, is, is internalizing when you should externalize, like, dude's just better than me. Yeah, and it's a, it's a tough thing to get, uh, it's a tough thing to swallow, right? And some, but sometimes it's not better. They're just tougher or whatever. Better you don't usually have control over, but, but the will stuff you sometimes do if you're in the right, if you're able to be in the right mental space. And that space is Thailand. I think so. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I really, actually, there's something to that. Yeah, yeah. I've seen you post about it a couple of times, a kind of romantic uh, interest or attachment to yeah, and it, of course it's not all uh, sunshine and rainbows. Right, There's some right, right. some spots over there that aren't good, but relative to the fight thing, like. they're they're really good at um, seeing when somebody's mentally breaking versus physically breaking, and and kind of walking that line. Because I, th- uh, what'll start happening is people will think like we all have stuff that hurts a little bit all the time, but if your thing that hurts a little bit doesn't bother you when you're winning in the clinch but your thing that hurts a little bit starts bothering you a lot when you're losing. And that's not an easy thing to parse out and be honest with ourselves. So I, f- I feel like over there, they're really good at, at paying attention to that and noticing like when it's time to send somebody home, 
when it's time to push them harder. And it's just proximity and exposure. I'm sure they've seen so many fighters from a young age, you know, doing that. And here, even among fight coaches, very few people are working with that kind of volume of people to, to see those patterns. Even even if you're at, at a big gym with a lot of fighters, like how how many different people have you actually seen come through? How many different situations have you seen? It's not anywhere near to scale. So I think it's mostly an experience thing. And it's interesting to hear your actual like firsthand or closer perspective. Because I mean, anybody that is semi-familiar with fighting stuff, like myself, I'd mm-hmm. be in like the semi-familiar camp, filthy casual fight fan. You probably pick up a piece of the lore of of thailand and, mm-hmm. and fighting there and you hear about 20 year olds with 120 fights yeah. under their belt and you go boy these people are just savages and they just drive through but what you're describing is kind of the opposite of that like they yeah. land all those fights because they manage the in-between better and they the training better it's interesting and the training is of course hard or the gym i'm at i can't speak for every gym but sure. the gym i went to that was a they don't really speak english there it's it's for stadium fighters compared to like one down in a tourist area where people go to the beach for half the day and and do whatever and they don't make you run and they're trying to make money mm-hmm. um versus trying to make money and, and and they really have complete control like your gym if you're a tie fighter your gym owns your contract, which means you live there. They dictate what you eat. Uh, when you sleep, the gym gets paid, and then you get paid from the gym for fighting. Not the other way around. Not like America, where I get paid as an individual, and then I pay yeah. my gym. Yeah. And and that changes the dynamic, of course. And it makes for some really abusive situations sometimes, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But it also... I mean, how many of us would do better at whatever pursuit if we had someone who really cared about us watching over and telling us what to do and when to do it? Yeah. Account- um, accountability. Absolutely. <laughs> so there is some lore to that. I think there's some things, just a, a culture so steeped in fighting, understand they, even the average person there has a different attitude about losing. Um like it's not uncommon for them to just ask you how many fights and not your record because they understand like one fight isn't that big deal. Like St. Tino is super famous. It was 0 and 5 or 0 and 6. And in, in America, like most coaches would never put any more time into you. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, it's not for you. Yeah. <laughs> and over there, there's a, a much more slow cook method. It's not what are you today? It's what are you going to be in five years? What can I make of this right. person in five years? And understand that each person's an individual. That's another thing. I think sometimes in America we get this idea that every fighter needs to be this and fighters need to be that and this super weird imaginary cartoonish character of what fighters are and they're whole people and over there they understand that like you know we all have different gifts and you find different ways to make that work for you in the ring. Plus what what sounds really valuable to me is an 0 and 5 record. Mhm. Like you learned a lot one would hope. One would hope. There was a lot of opportunities for growth and learning and perspective in the in those five losses, right? Totally. Well, and, and there you can lose most of your fights in a year and still get fighter of the year if they were good fights. Was it a good fight? That's what they care about. Did you show heart? That's what they care about. Not like so much. Like here you can eke by and get a win. And you may not have fought that well. You fought carefully. You may have fought intelligently, but it, it wasn't... Uh, the sort of display people like to watch, you know, maybe. 
and then it's kind of the prefontaine points do you know what i mean by that Steve, i've read a lot Steve about him i like him yeah and, and it's like the if you're not gonna go all out and give everything you got for the thing what mm-hmm. the fuck's the point regardless of the outcome a little bit of that yeah there's a bit of that but then there's also like because the uh, fighting is so frequent there's also some interesting things like uh dancing off the fifth round which is so fights are scored completely differently as far as like here we have a 10 point must system so that means if i win the first three rounds and it's a five round fight i've won the fight because all the numbers add up right i got 10 points 10 points 10 points they got only two rounds that were 10 points so it ends up being um i can't do math right now i'm drinking but but you get the (laughs) the picture that's why we drink i know right um so you have that. There's a point game you can play. And you can play a point game there too, but they score fights as a narrative, which is what is the story oh. of this fight? So if I win the first three rounds and then this girl takes all I've got and then the fourth round turns it over, flips it over, she tosses me, beats me up after taking everything that I can give her, she's probably going to win that fight. And we've all seen fights like that where – you're like, well, if there's no time limit, like so-and-so would have won, but because there is, the guy who won the first, eked out the first two mm-hmm. rounds wins. Yeah. So it's so, what American culture appreciates in movies is what they like in fights. Yeah, I think so. But then one, if it gets to the fourth round and the other person realizes there's no way they can win, sometimes they'll call dance it off, or just like they both essentially just play and like quit. There's the like, knee. why take the damage? Yeah. We know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We already know how it's going. When did you start training jujitsu stuff? Jiu-Jitsu, I originally started in 2007. I was a, so I originally started Taekwondo when I was like 14 years old. And my coach at the time, I trained uh, and competed for a long time and then five years, maybe six years. And my coach at the time got deployed to Iraq because he was in the army. And rather than go to another gym, I decided to start Thai boxing. So I ended up at the academy Thai boxing for a couple years and then started having a really hard I, I won um my first amateur title and then I was just having a really hard time getting matched and they were like hey there's an abundance of MMA fights so I started training jujitsu so I could do that but it was really three I mean I didn't start training jujitsu until three months before my pro debut because back then in 2007 was when I turned pro there were no there wasn't like an amateur scene at all, much to speak of, and certainly not for women. And the Minnesota Commission, I think, had just been established that year or the year prior. So there wasn't even a boxing commission before that. So I turned pro in October or September. And my last fight had been June. So yeah, I started right after that. So I think it was like three three or four months before. So that was June 2007, originally. Something, something tells me it wasn't like too huge of a deficit of skill set relative to your competition. Well, that was a problem. Hmm. It wasn't too huge of a deficit. Mm-hmm. So my striking was far above and my jujitsu was far behind. Oh, okay. Okay. So I knocked out the first four people and then couldn't get a fight. And then I ended up getting a jujitsu killer and got subbed. <laughs> Don't let it go to the ground. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what it turned into. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was yeah, not yeah. the intelligent approach, but also at that time, the the idea of it ever being a career for probably anybody nobody's really making money yet mm-hmm. and especially not women it was not you know every everybody still treated it like a hobby not like it was gonna 
you need to worry about your record and potentially be a career. I, I, I do think my early career is mismanaged, but that's, you know, neither here nor there really. Yeah. But almost everybody would say that about mm-hmm. some, you know, yeah, especially in a, you know, like a burgeoning growing arena. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, a while ago and I did have time times where I didn't do it. And then it was maybe mostly jujitsu for MMA Though an interesting thing that happened my last camp was it transferred so well to the gi. It was my first camp I did at M-Theory with Ishmael for a fight. Um, even when Ishmael was at the academy, I was training with the MMA team and not with the jiu-jitsu people. Sure. Which is different there. Sure. So, and I regret that because I think I think things would have gone better for me in a lot of ways had I been training with Ish before. Like um, a, a broader foundation of the basics of this specific uh, that that and the way he coaches it's both sure. um but this last camp was the first one i did with him and i didn't end up on the ground much at all with her but um but when i went back to do gi after doing jiu-jitsu for mma or jiu-jitsu with strikes it didn't feel like there was an adjustment period at all and that was the first time that's ever happened in my career like usually when you go from no gi or or no gi with strikes to gi it feels different. It didn't. It was, it was really fascinating. I still can't wrap my head around it fully. I'm not quite sure why. Do you think it's just an improvement in your overall skill set? I think it's that, but I also think it's the way it's being taught and maybe the partners. Like, you know, a lot of the really good guys from M-Theory were coming in to help me get ready, which was amazing. And, you know, you always pick up things from your partners. So maybe it was like that style of movement prepared me better. But it, it was a, an interesting thing that's not happened before. I'm not sure why. It's mysteries. I think just byproduct of getting better. Maybe. Right. And and maybe it was more of a, a more dramatic improvement than I'd had before during a camp. That's quite possible. Yeah, you took a bigger step forward mm-hmm. in your ability. So it was just a lot more. Um, I don't even want to say specific because even out in LA, uh, I worked with some really good people too. But I think Ish has a really good understanding of how to teach and help somebody develop, and I like that he doesn't micromanage when you're learning I think that happens a lot um with coaching and people mean well but he does a really good job of sort of observing what you're doing and letting letting it become your jujitsu instead of his jujitsu and and guiding you along like he sees a thing probably internally says hmm I'd have been doing something different but he lets it flow lets it develop and sees that okay that's their version of it yeah he'll 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 wait and watch I don't know of course I don't know what's going on in his head um but he'll wait he'll wait and and he watches a lot um before he be comments he's always available if you ask for help but i i think that's and he sees kind of where your your deficits are where you're getting caught in the rounds you're having but it just doesn't feel like it's about him and and unfortunately that's not a super common thing sometimes sure. in martial arts yeah. so probably I'm just in, really, probably in coaching in general in general like, yeah, yeah could be other things it's just that's where I end up as in the martial arts yeah, situations. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, but I, I think I think that'd be a broad, a safe, mm-hmm. broad assumption outside of this realm. But I feel like that's uh, um, really one of his gifts is he's really good at like helping people on their journey. So it's been interesting since since that last fight. I started training jujitsu a lot more. That's another thing. It was also kind of like the first time I really enjoyed rolling in with the in the gi a lot was at M Theory. I think it, it's partly the partners, partly the structure, partly the culture can't quite put my finger on it but like i find myself wanting to be there sometimes twice a day like yeah. it's what i want to do on my day you off. finally got enough rounds with randy dorkson that you're like i, I mean I, obviously i actually obviously like it's just that i enjoy being wrist locked by him 
Uh, I cannot get a good photo of him. It has you not happened. You get excellent photos of him. What are you talking well, about? Yeah, for meme purposes. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you. It sounds like you didn't work with Ish at the academy years ago. I think we did like a little bit. Now we're talking. This is twenty thirteen. No, twenty twelve. Because he moved to yeah. California for a little while before right. I did. Just, it's kind of interesting too like hearing about how he started m theory because it sounds like he went out there and saw how a lot of people in the top mm-hmm. the top in the world were doing it and then brought it back here um i feel like in in some way that's what we try to do with striking institute but obviously with striking as well um but yeah like he i th- i just i don't know that i realized and I, here's the other thing i don't think i realized how much of the talent that was there was a result of ish and some of the others helping to develop like where it was coming from right because you're all under one yeah one hub um and i'd gone to a couple of his practices but i but you know i also think i was uh young and inexperienced i was like well i'm an mma fighter so i'm just gonna go to mma practice and i'll be tough yeah yeah. you know there's jujitsu and then there's the kind of jujitsu i'm gonna need for exactly i think that was my mindset and i'm just you know having since learned that's that's a pretty Mm -hmm. Incorrect view, and even just the same is true with Thai boxing. Studying uh, strict Muay Thai has helped my striking for MMA so much. But you know, live and learn. Who's you have eight limbs now, right? Isn't, isn't that the thing? Eight. Nine, if you count your head. Oh, I definitely count the head for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so how well? How long have you been training jujitsu under Ish then over at M Theory? I'm trying to think when I first came up. So when I um. When I moved back to Minnesota, I was just doing Thai boxing for a while. So I was training with Ryan, and then I would go visit Corn Pet because he was still in California. And I'd train for a while. And then we started flying Corn Pet in sometimes. Uh, but then when I started doing MMA again, I did my first camp here for my first one back. But then I would leave to California where he was living because um, he had gotten another black belt to come in. And he's awesome one of the things he did was so he's a a Thai boxer through and through not a grappler but he went and took private lessons with the black belts around to see who he thought should be a good coach that we bring into (laughs) camp he's great so uh (laughs) the gentleman he picked he's really nice guy named uh, Levi Cope and he had wrestled in college a bit and then is a black belt I forget under who Henzo or somebody I don't remember one of the Gracies Mm -hmm. um and then we would work together, but I'd go stay out there, like out in the mountain. It was up in the mountains. Beautiful. So I'd go stay there and, and train for fights. And Levi and I would roll, and me and Kron would do Thai boxing. Uh, and we'd mix it together sometimes for the MMA. So I was going out there a lot until the last one, partly because of the pandemic. So to be honest, I was coming to MM Theory a little bit before that, like in between camps. But I don't know that I would have fully appreciated if I had never gotten stuck here for due to the pandemic. Sure. I still probably would have went going there. Sure. But I'm happy I did. The so. mountain that that mountain thing will be a good scene in the movie about your life. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Yeah. Northern California. Oh my goodness. So the reason I asked about how long you've been mm-hmm. uh here a year maybe? Like a a solid year, like some yeah. before that, right? Is that long enough to to be able to do an impression of Ishmael Bentley? Oh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all you got to say. Yeah. There were several points in this conversation where I was resisting the urge to say, "Did you train hard?" 
Right. right. I, my favorite thing is the way Marcus has taken on his. Yeah, he's the way a he clone. Speaks. Yeah, it's fantastic. Marcus, born and raised in Minnesota, has a little southern yeah, drawl. You know, we talked about that. Yeah, that's funny. I love it. I hope nobody actually tried the drinking game from episode one. When every, are you, every time he says right, take a <laughs> shot. Oh. When are you gonna have Ish on? We're working up to that. Yeah. I want questions. You do? Hmm. I, I, something tells me that'll be um, when I put up the post saying, hey, if you could sit down with Ishmael Bentley, I'm going to have to manage my inbox that day because he's been around a bit. I think Ish undersell, un, like, um, understates stuff he's done a lot. He ain't going to do that on here. Push him. Yeah. yeah. No, like, I, I really think he does. I've called a few people out on their Midwestern modesty bullshit. I'm like, I want you to brag. Tell me. Tell me the good stuff. That is a weird thing, isn't it, about the Midwest? Like, it's awesome that Midwesterners work hard. I remember when I first moved to L.A., they said, uh, like, I had a really super easy time getting job interviews because they were like, you're from where? Oh, you're going to show up on time. Awesome. So they'd want you to come in. Because <laughs> L.A. people are just, just sorry to any L.A. Culture. people listening, yeah. but you're a mess, you know, as far as that <laughs> you're goes. You're a mess. Just there's some cultural differences in terms of timeliness and whatnot. For sure. Um, part of it's the traffic, but it's not. When I, I, my Part first job. Part of it is having there. an excuse like the traffic. Yeah. yeah. Well, and. In the Twin Cities, everything's 25 minutes away, maybe 45 if it's snowing, right? There's a little bit more attitude, like everything's an option. I, my first job when I first moved there, because we moved there, basically, I'd say we'd saved up some money and just went and we're like, we'll figure it out. Um, my first job was doing personal training, like some kind of contract deal, personal training, but they, we're like, so are you an actress? And I was like, no, man. Like, I'm, I'm trying to fight. And they, like, they kept bringing it up. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what's the deal with this? And he's like, yeah, because anytime somebody's an actress, they decide they're all they're in shape, so they're also going to be a personal trainer. And then every time they get an audition, they just no show all their clients. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to be going to auditions. Yeah. But I'll yeah, have auditions, very... quote unquote, but it's different. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And, uh, I might know show the next day. But I'll have a doctor's note, right? <laughs> and people, I think, there end up being very... Like, social currency is a much bigger deal than here because it's sort of a culture of everybody trying to get ahead. Have you either, either you lived in L.A. or spent a lot of time out there? Um, I remember having some clients who worked for, like, ABC or NBC and stuff, and they won't tell you where they work initially because they, they're so used to. Like, people, I think, who have um, any kind of connections or cloud end up being really, at first, really closed off because they're so used to people trying to use them to climb. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a really f- strange thing where here – you know, famous people will just like live in a town and go grocery shopping, and it's not—it's not a big deal. It's a lot more laid back. The prince riding his bike around town. Right. Right. <laughs> but then there are some negative things too. I think. I think we can sometimes have like the tall poppy thing, like you're talking about, like. The what? The tall poppy syndrome. Tell me what that is. I've literally never heard that. Really? Yeah. So it's like the tall you know, whichever poppy plant sticks out gets hammered down. There's something about standing out here that people are resistant to someone else doing where I feel like sometimes in LA there's an attitude that's like, I'm awesome, but you're awesome too. And we're all awesome. Where here it's like, 
why do you think you're so awesome? I definitely don't like that. I think it holds us back, like yeah. just we as should, a culture. You should because be more tall poppies. Well, why, don't we, poppies. why don't we all just be tall? Yeah, yeah. And be an up dragger or a down dragger. It's your choice. Yeah, I think it, it, it's subtle stuff, right? But we've all, we've all felt it. Like anytime, it's almost like people are on the lookout for something that's arrogant rather than it's just it's, you feel it though. It's, totally, it's, it's a strange yeah. thing. Yeah. Where are you I'm, from originally? I'm never here. I've never heard that phrase before. Sure. But I know the vibe you're talking about for sure. Where are you from originally? Are you from here? Cottage Grove, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. How about you? I live here. Minnesota too? Same, yeah. Oh, okay. Were you young when you moved? Pauly, hold on. Paulie just set off Mike. He's from New Jersey. I've got a great story about that. <laughs> you got you got a you got a great New Jersey story? Take a drink and tell me that great New Jersey story. Or I find it hilarious. Maybe you guys won't. Somebody will. If you say it into the so, mic, somebody will like the story. Um, I've done a few of these tours where MMA fighters go hang out with troops overseas. And it's super fun because you just roll with them and hang out. And then you go to another base and you roll with them and hang out. But you get a tour of the base and they show you what they're doing. And we went to one base. It was actually a base that Siobhan was based at. Mm. down in the Sinai Peninsula. It's beautiful. It's in Egypt. And like, basically all, all we're doing there is is babysitting to make sure that both the Egyptians and the Israelis obey their treaty. Like we don't sure. do anything. We just sure. count tanks. So we don't. We just roll, but the soldiers count tanks, right? So yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we were in the medic area, I guess their little hospital. I forget what they call it. And I was like, oh, what, you know, what kind of common injuries do you guys see? Because you don't do combat here. And they're like, well, there's nothing that's common. It's like appendicitis and whatever. Was like, they said, well, except when the New Jersey National Guard came. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Yeah. And then we had like just a ton of steroid-related injuries. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Steroid-related injuries. Just Jersey, just <laughs> yeah, living yeah. up to the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fist pump and stereotype. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. What else do you know? What else do I know? I don't know. I mean, I sometimes feel like I'm boring because I, I've been fighting or matchmaking or coaching, and it's all kind of in this the same industry, you know? It doesn't leave a lot of time for other stuff. I, do, I like uh, dogs a lot. You got a dog? I got a wonderful dog. Well, tell me about this dog. He's uh, His name is Taser, and he turned 16 in October. He's a little chihuahua. His name is Taser? Mm-hmm. That's a great name. He got that name because he, when he was a puppy, he, if he wanted something, he'd come up and uh, hit you in the back of the knee and almost drop you because he weighed <laughs> nothing. So it was like all he could, the only offense he could mount, you know? Full body But he'd get your attention. But, you uh, know, you'd almost go down, so that's I've, why we start calling him that. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple of pictures. He's a cute little dude, for sure. He's great. But, yeah, I, I never had little dogs before him. I'm in that same boat, yeah. Mm-hmm. I grew up with, like, Malamutes and Labs, and I had Huskies, same. and I have a French Bulldog. Yeah. And I, I totally did the horribly irresponsible thing and got him from a yeah. pet shop, which I'm sure was a puppy mill, but yeah, we were walking by when I was 18. I've had him most of my adult I'm 35 now, right? So yeah. I've had him most of my adult life. And he... uh. And you don't know nothing about that at the time, like, you know. No, I was an idiot. Or, or, I, or I knew, but just decided to be eh, in denial. Sure, sure. Because I wanted this puppy more than I wanted to be have some morality. But um, <laughs> he 
was like smaller than a Coke can. And yeah. I think he was too young to be taken away from his mom. Probably, yeah. He's all skinny and his little backbone was sticking out. Yeah. Hmm. I was just like, well, I guess he's going home. So I had him since. And it's weird, though, having a little dog after having big dogs because you have to like protect them from stuff instead yeah. of them protecting you. Yeah. With so my other dogs, I was worried about them fucking up somebody else. With this dude, you're like, precisely. Yeah. You have to, like, we've been followed by coyotes, had, like, eagles circling him. <laughs> Your drunk friends Man. can't fall on him. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's stressful. Or they're just underfoot in the kitchen sometimes, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But he's, it's interesting, too, because he's pretty smart. I think he's better at communicating than other dogs I've had, which makes sense. I mean, if you're, if you're eight pounds, you got to get somebody else to do your bidding, and you better be good at it if you want to survive and evolve. So, so yeah, he's great. He's he's doing pretty well. He had had um, we ended up doing back surgery on him. Back surgery on a little doggo. Yeah, well, he had a uh, intervertebral disc disease. They call it IVDD. Have you ever heard of this? Yes, absolutely. It's like a, <laughs> it's like when they're it's a degenerative disc problem. But mm-hmm. when their discs go out, and one day he just was like paralyzed and in yeah. horrible pain. Yeah. For no reason. And he was 13 already at the time. And we're like, shit. And it was, he was in so much pain. It was like, you're putting him down or doing the surgery. There's no yeah. in between. So we did it and he, um, he recovered and is doing great. Three and a half years later. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. Awesome. I didn't think it would. Uh, and you think about the options you consider at the time. And then you're like, it's been almost four years. Like, what yeah, I'm hell? glad we made the decision. Yeah. But I was also like, God, I don't want to put him through that recovery. If he's only going to live another year or something, right, you know, right. but, but yeah, he's, he's a uh, wonderful I enjoy him a lot. He likes to come to fights. We bring him down to tournaments and stuff. He hangs out. <laughs> that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's that's an advantage of small dogs. Is you can, oh, you can do all that. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you can puppy pad train them so you don't have to go outside when it's miserably cold. <laughs> a lot of perks. Put them in the purse. You a movie buff? No. no. I heard, I forget you're who my, you had on here. You're my you were like, second. you know those weird people that don't watch TV and yeah, movies? Yeah, what are those? One of those that? weirdos. <laughs> Anything else? Oh, what do people get mentally hung up on uh, weightlifting or how do you visualize that? Cause I, I've seen it. I've been, I've done weightlifting like just as an aside sort of for strength training for sports, but, uh, and you see people get stuck on a weight that you know they can do. Like, how do you perceive those or, or what does it look like in powerlifting? So there's two different answers to that. Okay. And the one is, are we talking powerlifting or are we talking people that like lifting? So I I, th- I think yeah definitely. or tell me either <clears throat> yeah definitely both. both no the good answer for both I don't have a good answer for the one I do have my answer for the other so the thing with how I go about getting people ready for powerlifting because powerlifting is super easy mm-hmm. there's three lifts there's other stuff you should do but there's three lifts you technically need to do each of them once in a meet. You have three attempts, but like if you wanted to hit attempt one and two back in the warm up room and just come out with your big weight and just be done for the day, you can do that. Interesting. You, know? you need to do very little, but it is an extreme version of very little in a way. Of course. Right. Like this is going to be the heaviest thing I've ever lifted, ideally. If, you know, the, my, my trajectory in my career as a lifter and my training for this specific meet went well. The weight I'm going to attempt to lift on my third attempt should be heavier than anything I've ever lifted. I've never right. I've never done it in training. I've never done it in a meet, ideally. Mm-hmm. The thing with it is because it's such a minimal sport, like the th- the, the, you equate jiu-jitsu to chess a lot, even though mm-hmm. I think it's probably deeper. 
Like chess, agree. chess, agree. right? Yeah, chess has the limitations of the board, the limitations mm-hmm. of the pieces, the limitations of the moves. There's no psychological elements of the pieces. Yeah, on a surface There's, level, though, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a perfect analogy, but like I guess to the credit of jujitsu, I'm saying that's deeper, mm-hmm. and you expand it out to fighting, quote unquote, it gets just way deeper than chess could ever hope to be. There's so many more variables, physical, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. Powerlifting is very simple in that I spend four months dialing in my ability to execute three movements Mm -hmm. and I need to do it under the biggest strain of my life. Sure. Mm -hmm. But basically you are trying to train in predictability. Yeah. In fighting, you're trying to train for unpredictability in some regards, right? Like you're, you're combos and patterns and stuff, but it's combos and patterns relative to a response to that, right? The response you have in powerlifting is gravity. Gravity goes straight down at a predictable rate. You know, yeah. mass is mass. It ain't changed in a while, not even in 2020. Right? Yeah. So it the the mental hurdle is, it's less a mental hurdle, like if I go and I miss my third squat, so much as it is um, a goof of one of the other variables. Like maybe the the timing of the taper wasn't right, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or we exceeded... We pick too heavy of a weight. Yeah. That sounds super simple, right? But like if if you've hit three triples at 90% of your previous max, I can yeah. then extrapolate out roughly. I'll do the math and say, hmm, according to the calculator, this should be in the cards. And then you look at some other attempts and you just, maybe that's where the mindset comes in is you say, how's that number land emotionally mm-hmm. for you? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, missed attempts most of the time are due to I was sick two weeks ago. I s- get food poisoning two days before the meat. You, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, a foodborne illness rather. Like the 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 mental game, in my yeah. opinion, one person's opinion of powerlifting yeah. is really really simple. Now, if you're the type to kind of get in your own head and sure. start building doubt, just like with anything, yeah, then you're gonna doubt how well these triples, doubles, and singles in training translated to that one big heavy attempt in the meet mm-hmm. but like as like a practical administrative detail viewpoint there's not much there sure it it is there was a point where i was going to draw a parallel earlier to something you were saying what did you call it the grit say that oh elite grit elite grit so like the equivalent would be um because it's something that i talk about i actually like that that phrasing i might snag it all yours um Lifting a big heavy weight is a skill. Mm-hmm. Like you can sort of get strong and the, the deadlift and lifts like the deadlift are, are good examples because there's no stretch reflex. There's no yep. bouncing off the bottom. None of that. It either moves or it doesn't. And it doesn't move right away and it doesn't move fast. And you get some of that like spirit. Yeah. Like you're talking about, like, sense. you know, like, like mm-hmm. a fighter can break my spirit as a fighter. Once, you know, I land yeah. my best stuff and suddenly they're still moving forward. <sighs> you mm-hmm. know, that might break me. Same kind of thing in just the tiniest instance with a barbell and powerlifting. Um, there is a skill of grind is the phrase we tend to use. Can I grind a rep out? You yep. know, like I am terrible at that personally. Sure. I hit a weight. It might be the heaviest thing I've ever lifted, but it's going to move fast and it's going to look easy. And the second it doesn't move fast or look easy yeah. was the second I quit. I quit on it. Mm-hmm. 
you know um so that's like actually an interesting parallel like i said i was going to bring that up earlier um but mindset wise it's it it's so packaged refined predictable hopefully the Mm -hmm. point is to make it predictable to take any unpredictability on any even just in physical positions and stuff and variations of where the bar is i get rid of all of that i know exactly what's going to happen i know that what i've done will translate to what i want to do and then i go do it what kind of excuses do you see in powerlifting excuses for what failure define failure not achieving the goal not lifting the weight Mm mm-hmm what what cues you off to know the difference between a reason and an excuse? And that's a fine line, right? When is it like what what causes it more likely to be an excuse? So th- with the people that I've brought into meets, and I think this might be legitimately having the conversation with clients, both just personal training mm-hmm. clients and like lifting clients, having the conversation about reasons versus excuses. That's mm-hmm. a that's a distinction I draw with everybody yeah. actually. So I like that you went there is I don't, there isn't a lot of excuses. There's a lot of reasons. Hmm. In my experience. Sure. Because like if I was sick two days ago, that's a reason why today didn't go very well. I can label it as an excuse and then kick myself because of it. Right. But I eat sushi there all the time. How did I know I was going to pick up a bug this time? Yeah. You know, I can, I can say, well, it's just an excuse. That's why I did poorly today. Well, it is why I did poorly today physiologically, you know. Like you guys surely have planned days off, right, in training, like recovery days. I'm assuming like when you're doing a program, getting ready for something, you have, oh, this is a day off or this is what I'm supposed to do. If you you said right now, you're like, I'm done with this fighting bullshit. I want to go power lift, just hypothetically. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be on either a three or four day program. Okay. And the off days are legitimate off days. That's like they're off. You lift, you don't lift and then you lift. Right. And then if, if we're, there's a meet on the calendar, there's sort of like this holding pattern of like what training for powerlifting just generally Mm -hmm. looks like once there's a meet on the calendar, then the spreadsheet has this block and this block and this blocks delineated. So, I'm volume focused and I'm volume focused and then I go strength and strength and then power, which is like peaking for a meet, right? Just sort of like the loosest linear periodization thing. Sure. So you've got, you have off days because lifting is an intensity game. Yeah, of course. It's like if, if that sparring. Yeah, you can't do a hundred percent of your max all the time. Yeah. Yeah, And if that sparring session I photoed yesterday was a three, four day a week thing. It's going to last a a week, (laughs) you know, after week Mm -hmm. one, we're all going to be done. Right. But I need to do the lifts as often as I can. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I vary, I undulate the intensity and the volume, volume across like a longer time frame, like a month or even a week and the intensity of any given day. And there's just, you know, I mean, unless somebody was just with a broom handle practicing squats on those in between yeah, days. Yeah, of course. Cool. Go ahead. Like, honestly, great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but the it, it, if you were to, like, write out a, a training plan for a fight, mm-hmm. you'd, we'd be speaking the same language as we would for a powerlifting meet. Not the same words, but the same language. So do you alter? do you alter the training, like... I'm sure you do, depending on the athlete. Like, you know, like some athletes need more rest and some have higher work capacity naturally. Do you alter it for the athlete or do you? Totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and for just the the person like right, they, they, ha- they have well i mean i mean even oh, beyond like that depending they, on how much rest they're able to get because maybe they got three young kids at home yeah, or something like that yeah, yeah i was gonna say a variable work schedule but yeah kids at home what you saw me responding to a text a little bit ago yeah that was a client doing what should have been friday's session and they had a question about it and my response wasn't well my question is why is that happening now because monday's session is supposed to happen on monday uh-huh. right so you get into some of these like week by week variabilities, but then everybody is is totally different. But almost everybody can handle squatting, benching, and deadlifting, and let's say squatting, benching, deadlifting very easy mm-hmm. three days a week. Sure. And then you grow from there. Sure, you kind of tailor. Yep. And some people grow really far. Some people grow, and we have to readjust and readjust and readjust. Um, but almost everybody can take like a basic training template and and survive it and then eventually thrive in it what do you often see as uh, reasons given for wanting an extra day off or putting off their training another day do you mean to say excuses yeah. <laughs> yes uh it is you want my honest candid answer 100 percent. it's me being soft about it not just you. I'm no, but you it, have curious it, too, but like in No, general. no, no, it's me being soft about it with mm-hmm. people. Because legitimately, if I have a 3 day a week training schedule and I squat, mm-hmm. bench and I dead each day and I do other stuff, right? Rows, yeah. whatever. I can shift Friday to Saturday. I can shift Friday to Thursday, make a volume adjustment, survive mm-hmm. it and move on to next week. And I talk about that pe- with people candid candidly mm-hmm. because it's valuable and it's real life and you know a huge percentage of my people that I've brought to powerlifting meets are women and women with children and mom roles, quote unquote, you know, and all that stuff. Right. As as soon as you say that though, you open the gates, Mm -hmm. you know, and I am bad at then saying, you know, get your fucking hand off the mic. Yeah. Kind of, of Hey, we talked about this. It's fine, but don't do it. Right. You know, I am bad at then saying, okay, we talked about that as an option, but it doesn't mean it's normal. It doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's preferred. Sure. You know, like with a a specific client of mine, just a personal training client who actually went and did a powerlifting meet just because it's cool to say you went and did stuff. Of course. Yeah. I'm like for that a hundred percent. Like go try, go try tie boxing. Yeah. Yeah, Why not? You know, the very first time, um, we talked about using like a food logging app because her primary interest was mm-hmm. was losing weight and that's one mode with which we'll like just learn about the food you know I don't oh anything. yeah people aren't aware sometimes yeah how many i have no idea yep. what i'm eating when i'm eating why i'm eating etc so then like just being able to measure it is is mm-hmm. one one approach and i said don't worry about doing it every single day every single calorie every single food item like let's just get a picture a prettier picture than we got right now yeah i said so if you if you end up missing a day whatever like we're going from wherever we've mm-hmm. been to perfect in the next week is never going to happen. No, Silly. Of course right? not. Yeah. So then like, I think it was actually a two week run. This example I'm thinking of, we sat down to talk about it. Like, Oh, what'd you learn? Mm-hmm. You know, cause it's food logging apps to ask you how much you're like, I don't know. Handfuls. Mm-hmm. Like what do you mean? Yeah, how much? It is tough bro? The first time you do it for sure. <laughs> yeah. It, it just provokes the question of like, how much is a much you have no idea. Mm-hmm. And she came into the room and sat down. She said, I did miss a couple of days, but you said that was okay. 
I said, yeah, absolutely, no big deal. So then we opened up the app mm-hmm. and look at it, and she logged two days of seven the first week. Yep. Right, because I opened the gate. I said, it's okay to miss a day or two. And we all internally, you know, justify those those kind of, of things. Of course. You know what I'm saying? So I think a, a big part of my answer to that question is me being soft on stuff. I mean. Once I have the option to skip a session, because it's okay, which mm-hmm. is a healthy thing. Right. Right. Like it's, there's, it's healthy to have a healthy balance. Sure. But it's also unhealthy to have that healthy balance sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Does it change? Like, so you have some people that are doing it for fun as do we. And then do you have anybody who's powerlifting? They'll come to you and tell you that it's like in the top five of the priorities in their life. Sure. Yeah. I I, I would say a, a surprising number of them say that. You know, they got kids mm-hmm. and the family and the career and, you know, the usual kind of list. Yeah. But once somebody finds a thing and likes the thing, yeah, gets passionate about the thing, the fire gets big, even though, you know, onlookers from outside might not be like, that's clearly somebody who is one of those, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you find a, because I feel like I see this a lot, when the person knows they're not going to be good that day, they don't want to do it. And it's not like laziness. It's about... um maybe they're usually at the front of the pack on sprints or it's just that they won't be this is why a lot of people crack when they train in thailand too because they push you at such a rate that you you're not going to look good every day you're going to look like absolute shit and you're going to look like you're fucking way lower than your level and like that part is what people can't handle um i think the the analogous piece of of powerlifting training at least uh-huh. in the way that i do powerlifting programming yeah is a text that i got earlier this week from a high school boy yeah and young men have it he, the worst yeah that, I think. and yeah. he's gonna he is a savage and he's gonna be a savage um but he was talking about okay there's a meet in at march such and such 27th or whatever yeah and right now i'm lifting these weights and I'm scared because I want to lift these weights by this time, mm-hmm. right? Not fully appreciating that, like, the better a job we do of building the bottom of the pyramid, the bigger the next yeah. slices up of the pyramid yeah. can be, you know? If my conditioning is really fantastic, then I can work on my striking longer. Yep. Or for more minutes each week. Yeah, yeah. I'm grasping for an analogy because I'm outside my... No, no, but no, no, it makes sense. if I can do X amount of work at 60 to 70% and it's more than I used to, I'm going to be able to do more work at 70 to 80% and 80 to 90% mm-hmm. of one rep max, right? Mm-hmm. So the, like, maybe the, the similar thing there is that disconnect between... At the, at the earlier phases of training, particularly in like a Western linear periodization model, I don't necessarily feel like a 500-pound squatter the whole time. Yeah. And it works against my head. Mm-hmm. No, I think that, that's the same, I think. Um, that's neat that he was able to tell you that he felt that way, though. That's a rule. That's a good thing. That's a rule. Yeah. What, what, even if you're thinking, fuck this, I don't want to do this bullshit anymore. Mm-hmm. Cool. We'll find something else. Maybe I know a guy. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, like yeah, have a pursuit. I don't give a shit what it is. If it's something I can help you with, rock and roll. But like, do something, and be honest when it's time to move on. I actually had um, somebody recently. It's that was referenced that movie, The Wrestler. With I've Mick, not seen it. Heard with Mickey great. Rourke, but, but you know? he basically stays too long at the party. More yeah, or less, right? exactly yeah. that. And I mean, the person I'm thinking of is just 
lifted some pretty bomb ass weights, mm-hmm. did stuff that most people wouldn't expect of a quote unquote a girl, particularly mm-hmm. like a mom of two who's yeah. a stay at home mom, quote unquote, right? And really struggled in the last couple of years to just say circumstantially, motivation wise, interest wise, mm-hmm. maybe structurally what my body's looking for is not big heavy ass barbells on my back. Yeah. You know, and she finally did let it go and she's rocking some yoga and a few other things and just like immediately happier. Yeah. And then in you know, in the climate of things, ain't that a win, you know what I mean? But um yeah. well, th- that, that's the toughest thing to to sell to yourself, let alone bring up to somebody else is like, man, I think I'm done with this bullshit. Mm-hmm. So that's part of why I make an active policy of being the person being like, cool. Yeah. Well, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I think I think that uh, the expectation. Or maybe it even becomes like a um, an identity thing. Yes. I think when people also are used to being. um super athletic and the best in the room when they know they're going to go in and have a day they're tired or or they're coming back from an injury or whatever and they aren't going to be able to be that Mm -hmm. it can be tough for them that's originally what i was getting at but that's a really interesting point you bring up too i don't even remember what you originally said that's okay rambling what was it yeah uh, I was asking about the excuses people make because I find that um, what that'll be is like I'm too sore to train when they're sore, but they're not too sore to train. They're too sore to be first. Yeah. Beautifully and stated. That's my answer. Mm-hmm. You just put it much more succinctly. Um, I don't feel like I'm a champion today. Yep. So And that it, bums me out. Mm-hmm. So it's better to... To not have to confront that myself or not have other people see it if I just hang out here and and don't develop for a day. I think there's probably a reasonable distinction between I have to square off, but Mm -hmm. you know, in front of somebody, with somebody, square off with somebody who's going to test that and I'm going to see that they're going to see it versus versus a barbell. Well, and, and, and frankly, with something that is so, you have to be so explosive and so dialed in, neurologically so dialed in. I don't know that pushing the same way even makes sense because you wouldn't want to push past the point where you're feeling super sharp as far as like getting in the habit of being comfortable with that or something. Well, think of it this way. One, the program is designed for that. Whatever work I did on Monday can't detract from the work I'm going to do on exactly. Wednesday. Yep. And both of those can't detract from Friday. And then I've got two extra rest days and that whole previous week can't really detract. Right. It's all got to build, 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 build. And one of the things, the tools that is, is really common nowadays in powerlifting is using an RPE scale, mm-hmm. rating of perceived exertion, right? Um, and if you even just rudimentarily <laughs> explain that, talk about that with people, mm-hmm. the idea that like, I'm not interested in RPE 10. I don't even want RPE 10 at a meet for most people. Yeah. Like it, it, if I want something in the tank at a meet, so long as it's still a PR and you did yeah. better than ever. That makes sense. Because the more time I spend against gravity, against an, an inanimate object at RPE mm-hmm. 10, the more I run the risk of injury and burnout yeah. and just more fatigue. You know, if I can get the, the one one way I'll say it to people, if I can get as, as good as I can in an easier way than I otherwise might, I'm going to do it that way. That makes perfect sense. And it's session to session. That has to be how you think of it. 
you know, I'm doing sixes Monday, eights mm-hmm. Wednesday, and and three to five. I've got the option on Friday, and and the intensity varies. The weight's going to vary each of those days. I'm setting myself up to have the three best sessions I could have had that week, mm-hmm. and the best week I could have had amongst that month, and the best month. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're you're using a legitimate, like scientific method, if you will, of saying we're going to stay away from the line. Yeah. But keep push, but keep pushing it away. Do you see uh do you see people crack under pressure? Yeah. Often. Um, it seems to to me, frankly, to be a personality type thing. Sure. It's like you can you can I can tell you who's gonna who's gonna be super nervous and twitchy yeah. at a meet, just like I'm assuming it would be amongst fighters, you know. And it might not necessarily be there to their dread detriment, but if we were taking bets you know, in the back mm-hmm. room before that meet, I know where my money would be in terms of, of explosion, you know? Yeah, that's fascinating. It, it, but I think, I, I don't think that, you know, a man versus man versus a man versus himself slash gravity is, is any kind of a fair comparison, but it's a fun comparison. Well, cracking it, under the pressure of yeah. someone else's will being imposed versus cracking under the pressure of me and my internal dialogue mm-hmm. with this inanimate object are miles apart but they're an interesting thing to well but i would say cracking under the pressure somebody's will has an element of that that's actually bigger it's a greater element of that than of what's going on in your head i should say the interplay what's going on in your head i think especially if the other person can tap into that um fundamentally it's it's your brain yes exactly exactly like they're the the you know, if I could have blocked them out entirely, I would have been fine. If I could have filtered them and their energy, pressure, shit talking, whatever, or it wouldn't have I been would fine. have been fine. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It goes both ways. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. But it make it makes sense. It's interesting to like to sort of think about it. Um, as far as like, it's the same every time, predicting the outcome. I guess that you would have. And for us, what's predicting the outcome is different, but like contr- the emotional control piece is going to be similar, I think. Sure. Or not just emotional control. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, I do, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I find it fascinating. It's always interesting, I think, to hear about like um, how different sports or different activities. I have a yeah. friend who's um, works in executive coaching. It's fun to talk to him about some of the similarities <laughs> there. Yeah. The pressure to perform is mm-hmm. the pressure to perform. Regardless and competing of, with others yeah. and... Uh, like I've heard runners going back to Prefontaine talk about breaking other runners. Mm-hmm. You're not running together. Like their speed has nothing to do with yours, right? I suppose you can pass each other, or or you can. What's that phrase where they use each other's wind? Help me. Where you coast off the other person. Drafting. You, drafting. Thank yeah. you. You could draft off to one another, but but for the most part, them running fast doesn't dictate how fast you're running but he he has said that you can break people so i was wondering if there's anything similar in powerlifting there is a game element of it Mm -hmm. because i go in with three attempts planned this this is what i know i i let's say think this is what i think i can lift in the squat the bench press and the deadlift and thus this is what i think i can total for the day sure um and that is with most people, how I think about it, 
because for most people it's what they showed up and achieved. Mm-hmm. But meets are won by how those numbers compared to that person over there. And sure. what that person over there did on their second attempt and what I can see that they've submitted for their third when I haven't done my second one yet tells me where they're aiming to go. Yeah. And if my, my interest is how I stack up with those people, um, that that's where like the, 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 the mind game, the sure. how, how well can I chase that person's pace kind of comes into, into play. And again, I, awesome. it, the, the, I, I think I fundamentally say, we know that you can lift this, this, and this, mm-hmm. and that's the best you're going to do. That's the best we think you're going to do. Adding five kilos to try to match that person increases my risk of not doing better than I did before. Sure. Because my second attempt Because you is, normally go up by like a smaller amount, right? Sure. Or whatever, whatever the interval is, right? Sure. If I've got five kilo jumps between one, two, and three, my second attempt for most people is not a PR attempt. For high school boys, it is a lot of time, depending on... Of course it is. How, of course yeah, it is. Of course it I'm is. not yeah. even the least yeah. bit surprised by De- that. Depending on how far away uh-huh. the last meet was, it definitely is. Um, but if I then add five kilos because I want to stay on pace to like beat this person, mm-hmm. but that's like me and coach over here kind of know that that's not going to happen. Sure. I've now just failed in my opinion. Yep. And this, this becomes one of those debates within the industry thing. I'd rather take the PR and presumably get a PR in the bench, PR in the deadlift, and then a PR total. And it stacks up where it stacks up. Yeah. Now, if we're at nationals or worlds or something, it's a different conversation probably, but you're also dealing with a different caliber person, a different set of goals for that person. Most people, I just want to squat bench deadlift and then ultimately total more than I had before. That was the whole point of the four months of training or the three months of training or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that's maybe another distinction. Like, I guess you could walk away from a fight saying I did better at this fight, yeah. even though I lost. But it's kind of binary. It feels binary to me. I won the fight or I lost the fight. Mm-hmm. Like I can not win the meet, walk away with a gold medal, but I can walk away with my best performance ever. Sure. Objectively. Right. Objectively. Like I can measure it. I can say this objectively happened. So then my next question would be, why do a meet at all since you can make those go up on your own? Fucking A, man. And they charge you for it too. Um, in, for me personally, I wouldn't bother. Uh, certainly not sure. at this point. What about know? other people? Why do, the, they, why do they want to do I it think, at a meet instead of PRing in the I gym? I think a piece of it, especially depending on how, if you've grown a gym culture, is that it's yeah. a shared experience. Going back to what you were talking sure. about, training for fights. You it And it's also... It's also like an official standard. Yeah. Another day at the gym is another day at the gym, even if it was heavier than I've ever lifted. Mm-hmm. I went and I paid the dues and I met the requirements of the rules and I'm on the books as having done, you know. This I, I, at this weight yep, and oh, all sure, that. that makes sense. It makes it official. And even though like from a coaching standpoint, I tend to emphasize you're going to measure yourself against yourself, your previous right. self. Every single person, including me, also looks at how shit laid out in yeah, the standings. Yeah, I mean, know. like competitive people. Like, yeah. of course you do. Of course right. you do. And, and even if it even if it is only a secondary, tertiary thing, you're still checking it out. You're mm-hmm. still interested, right? So there is also that, you know. That makes sense. But I think I think the the huge driver is the the phrase um, my friend Josh used, and I think it's a common phrase in like the CrossFit community. Actually, is 
it's a campfire. People gather around a campfire. Sure. Like I can come up with a wad at home. I can right. I can buy a bike and go cycling every day, twenty miles. You know. Right. Why do you do anything? It's a campfire. People gather around the campfire. You get to know each other. It's a shared experience, and then you come back to the campfire. You tell the stories of the previous campfire. You know. Yeah, it's the social piece. It kind of leads you to why do anything. Not to like right. dive straight into like nihilism. Go but for like, it. No, no, no. You know, but like it, it's the motivation for doing anything. It's mm-hmm. motivation for you and I sitting here having this conversation. Like, of course, it's a thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I I wonder if there's something to uh, being able to do it under the added pressure that makes it appealing. Kind of like what you're saying. As far as like, oh, it's official. You met these requirements, mm-hmm. but but all that stuff is is uh, it's added pressure. Yeah, definitely. We have one of the best, uh, arguably the best female powerlifter in the world. In in at least the USAPL, there's different federations, just like with fighting. Tell me about her. Um, and she is only maybe three years in now. And I remember her first meet, it was in Duluth. And she showed up, lo- learned about powerlifting, was done mm-hmm. being like a college soccer player, I think it was. And looked into it and said, oh, there's a meet. Okay, I'm going to look up this organization's records. And was like, nice, I can beat those. I can beat that, yeah. Like right off the bat, I can beat those, right? (laughs) Which is amazing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Except she didn't, at least not right off the bat. Oh, I bet it pissed her off. Oh, yeah, she didn't know the rules. Mm -hmm. And there's picky rules, too, because there's like assistive gear that can help you lift. So that, you know, in a non-geared federation, like how your socks overlay the, your knee sleeves and stuff like that is like, there's rules about all that stuff. It's, sure. It's a picky bitch of a thing in the beginning, you know, and this was somebody who should have been at least state record holder across the mm-hmm. board first instance, but came into it raw, no coaching, not a lot of exposure, didn't go check out a meet, all that stuff. Like the ability was there, but the, the, the know-how, the details, yeah. the guidance wasn't, you know, so she's yeah, in the she's corner crying because they, I did all three of those lifts. They were mm-hmm. better than I've ever done and they should have been records, but they didn't count, you know? Sure. And, but I mean, again, now she's like amongst the best in the world. In three years? Something like that. That's amazing. Three or four. Yeah. She's pretty incredible actually. Um, squatting middle 500s, something like that. Damn, dude. How much she weigh? I think she's, so wait. She's 84 plus, I think, 84 kilo plus. Gotcha. Um, so I don't know what her specific weight would be, but Amanda yeah, Lawrence. Amanda Lawrence is her name. Okay. Yeah. Miss Amanda Ann. I have to follow her. On is she on Instagram? Yeah. yeah. I think it's miss.amanda.ann on Instagram. But, and, it, you know, a great example of, of somebody that showed up with all the tools, presumably. Mm-hmm. And didn't have all the tools, you know. Right. But has since filled those, filled those gaps and found the coaching. It seems fast. Not. I don't know what the the. It is. Yeah. Time frame is like for powerlifting, but it seems fast. It, I mean, it just I, any kind of physical performance it can vary so much, mm-hmm. you know. But like probably uh, if if you're talking like the like the baddest, mm-hmm. just gnarliest, strongest careers. Yeah. That's like uh, Nick Deluki and the Gillinghams and Dave Oslin, like people you would have seen on World's Strongest Man years ago. Yeah, yeah. They're 20 years into it. You know, they were winning stuff at 15, 12 plus years in, you know. When do people peak? And that's that's actually kind of where I was leaning in. So um, strength sports stuff, 
there's two versions of this strength sports stuff you can peak much later power too but Mm -hmm. but like strength where speed isn't an issue yep you can you can continue on later is maybe the the phrase and you can continue to see improvement improvements in performance later on than you would with like endurance or like like sprinters there's a short life there you know um if you are uh using certain supplementary Mm-hmm. regimens well, yeah, of course then it's you know it's just exaggerated you know it's, it's a longer time frame but i mean you're gonna see um you'll see people in their mid to late 30s and later arguably into the 40s mm-hmm. topping like the open division they, sure. they use a lot of the same phrasing that yep. jujitsu and fighting does um but the, i mean the, the the tricky thing is is there's that objective reality of my performance with lifting Mm-hmm. Right. So like if I think All right, man, I'm a bigger dude, I'm getting up there and I've kind of been in and out of competition focus mm-hmm. for a number of years. When I let myself get a few years older and come back and compete in the masters and with that base that I've had, I'm going to kick some butt. Mm-hmm. Well, no, there's been masters kicking ass for years. Like, you for know, sure. if, if, if you want to, you want to show up USAPL meet and thinking like I'm going to score a state record, like Callistus Schissel and, uh, Carl Gillingham have pushed it up to 550 if you want that bench press record at 45 years old. You know what I mean? That's amazing. Like it, 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 so like it, there's kind of three versions actually is the the natural versus drugged mm-hmm. and then there's just the are you worried about beating the best in the world in the open division or are you worried about your current competition because so your, your current competition is savage. You know, Brad, you, Brad Gillingham yeah. pulled 800 Something like over 41 times in competition, and a bunch of those were north of 40 years old, you know? Shouldn't even be... You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I won't say no, I guess. <laughs> I got some slider left. Do it, Polly. Let's go. Um, yeah. I mean, it's almost like a... That's you know, so interesting to me because um, I, somebody was just telling me that about jujitsu. They were saying that though it might seem like black belt masters wouldn't be so crazy it's super crazy because <laughs> that's where you run into guys who have been a black belt their whole life yeah like hodger gracie or uh-huh. something stuff like that yeah like a, a master's brown the jump between adult brown belt and adult black belt is sometimes not as big as the jump between yeah. master's brown belt and master's yeah. black belt yeah. which makes perfect sense somebody yeah. could have been a black belt since they were a kid basically you know right um or just had a longer, slower mm-hmm. path and saw different and or more stuff. You know, exactly. there, there's a different the, the slow cook. Yeah, you know, like right. going back yeah, to that. Yeah, that's why. That's why I don't know if you know him. I I don't know him at all. But one of my people I'm gonna sit down with and chat with that I've never mm-hmm. met is a guy named Scott Coleman. I know Scott. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, we, old, chat, old, we chat on Facebook and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Same. Same now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh He's over at. Um, McCune's. McCune's, thank you. Mm-hmm. He's older guy, kind of a grizzled blue belt, I think. A couple of three stripes or Man, something. Man, but like he that. he competes as much as he can. This it's is what awesome. I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. and like guys like that concern me more than you know, like Shavong's. You know what I mean? And it's not a knock on Shavong, but like Shavong is exactly who I expect him to be. I see mm-hmm. a guy like Scott, and I'm going, I'm interested in that. Let's talk about it. Yeah, that's fascinating. I love I love that. I love when um, and I understand competition isn't for everybody. And I understand, like, certainly, like, top-level stuff isn't for everybody. You know, the stuff with, like, a lot of risk, yeah. less rules, less pads, whatever. Right. Um, but, man, like, it's such a valuable thing in teaching other people. 
especially something I think is especially true in like jujitsu and fight sports, but anything like the little things you pick up, like you were describing about the, what was her name? The female power lifter. Amanda. A lot of what Amanda was maybe missing was those little things you pick up competing yeah. a lot, right? She didn't have the years of experience. I, exactly. She was coming in at an ab- ability level, not commensurate with her years of experience. Exactly. And um, it, it is strange to me sometimes that people would rather teach without that experience than lose and teach. Hmm. Um, cause you'll hear some people sometimes talk about like, Oh, I have a school now. I, I don't want to compete at all. And I totally understand if it's just that you're busy. Cause there, that is a lot like taking care of other people is a lot and taking care of a gym is a lot. But sometimes I think it's just the fear of losing in front of their students. Um, and I think like, man, like even, even if you lost, like you, you gain so much in, in terms of experience and those small things that you learn only by trying to do it to somebody who's really a hundred percent resisting or at a meet, right? right? Stuff like that. Yeah. If I haven't tried to pick up a heavier weight than I've ever picked up, what do I really know? Then I'm about missing those yeah, those I, things. Yeah. What do I really know about it? Yeah. And then you have, and then you have, uh, you know, somebody who has spent a lot of time doing that and trying things out, and they have all these wonderful little, little tips that you don't get from people who've spent a lot of time doing that, whether it's jujitsu comps or, or anything. These little these little tidbits that, that are more than just the technique. I love learning those from people who have spent a lot of time in the field, I guess. No matter well, what it is. And especially no matter a, what it's about. Yeah, especially in a deep game because life is a deep game, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, jiu-jitsu is a pretty deep game. Fighting is a pretty deep game. There's a lot of ins and outs. Yeah. Like, one of the first jiu-jitsu tournament I went to, and it was purely just bringing a camera, going to try to take some pictures, um, my buddy Vince Lapalusa lost a match. Uh-huh. Uh he simply because he couldn't get his foot out of the guy had him like quarter guard and all, oh, he sure. had to, all he had to do was get that foot out of the quote unquote all he had to do all, right, right. Yeah, it was get that foot out of there and he would have pointed up and won mm-hmm. and it was like man it felt like a long time but like 15 20 25 seconds of basically that guy just clamping down and him yanking on the leg right mm-hmm. and it and i'm coming at it going knowing nothing about it i'm you know, yeah white belt x number stripes or whatever and I'm going, wow, just that little detail, huh? Just And on the, I heard Ish, just get your foot, get your foot. Yeah. Go hard, get your foot. You know? That's and pretty it was, good. That, that's that's ex- a pretty good. <laughs> I've learned from the best. It's pretty good Tennessee, um, man. But Kentucky. the, uh, sure. yeah. you know, and, sure. you're, and you're like, yeah, that's a yeah. tiny detail in in a sea of a lot of tiny details, you know? Yeah. You don't do nothing else other than fight? I do some volunteer stuff with the dog rescue. Which one? Love it. Uh, it's been actually a minute since I've done it. Sure. Mostly yeah. because my dog, you know, being the old wonderful old man that he is, yeah. protests about having another dog around. Uh, but so you foster is what you're saying. We did foster yeah. a bit, protecting yeah. paws, animal rescue. They're oh, cool. great. So they they end up bringing up a lot of dogs from the south and stuff too. But all they of have them do. Missouri, all that. Man, um, yeah, it's really really sad sometimes but we yeah we foster we've fostered a few times now taze is he's just older and he just is mm-hmm. like you know sort of in his get off my lawn stage and we don't want to put him through it you know yeah. uh but we'll occasionally do like help with transport or something yeah, so that's pretty that's cool awesome. um, that's, that's one of my little issues too 
I don't do enough with it these days, but most of my dogs have been rescue dogs. And okay. As a matter of advocacy, that's one of my things too, so I love to hear it. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. I think uh, dogs are such a fascinating species in general. They're like all the good about people with none of the bad, you know. Um, but yeah, he, uh, so it's neat being a part of that. I would love to do more with it later. Like apparently, and I never would have thought about this, but there's a big need for it with, um, like domestic violence shelters and stuff like that, because a person leaves that situation and they don't take the pets. Well, you know, what's going to happen to your pets if you leave a violent situation. Right. So like they need something that'd be cool to do something like that. I'd like to do something like that someday. I love it. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I'm boring. I uh, <laughs> went to college. At the I don't U. know if you can say your amateur and pro fighting record, and then later on be like, "Yeah, I'm pretty boring." You know. <laughs> well, it doesn't like it leads to a lot of like. Um, they're all different situations, but sort of repetitive. All all in the same sure, way, yeah. sort of repetitive. Yeah, I've never read Mike Tyson's poetry, but he's a decent fighter in his day. I would know? like to read that poetry. I, honestly, now that I've said not, it. Not necessarily yeah. to have a moment, but because I'm curious. <laughs> My style's impetuous. <laughs> damn it, that's Mike. good. <laughs> My rhymes is impregnable. <laughs> He's an interesting cat, isn't he? Yeah, I wish my Tyson impression was as close to Tyson as Kevin's Ishmael impression was to Tyson. Did you know Kevin and I went to eighth grade? We were in eighth grade together up in Pine City? No. Randomly. Just one year? So it was one year because I got caught with drugs and pulled out of school. So remember when you were saying you're boring? (laughs) 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 Survey, Survey says... Boring the last 20 years or so, right? Tell me about your drug experience. Well, I was just, you know, I was trouble. So I was um, getting into drugs and all that kind of stuff. And my, I think my mom didn't know exactly. She hadn't caught me yet, but she could tell I was getting into trouble. My my parents had divorced when I was like six or seven. So she sent me up to live with my dad in Pine City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was up there a year. And then she eventually ended up catching me with drugs in my coat when I was visiting. Pulled me out of school, homeschooled me for the remainder of the year and made me get a job and made me choose an activity. That's actually how I got in martial arts in the sure. first place. So even trouble. if it, even if it's become boring, it's definitely better than what it could have been. No doubt. And and she, I don't think expected it to turn into what it's turned into. Um, but yeah, I, you know, if you think about like, have you ever seen the movie, the butterfly effect? Yeah. I has it, hesitate to say it but yeah the concept is great right yeah. like the movie you may 100%. not like but the concept is yes. great yes so you think about that and you think about like the people you're hanging out at the time with and see what their life and experiences have turned into yeah like i never and how drank different before i met polly now here i am just it's certainly better to be <laughs> drinking with you guys than whatever that would have been yeah yeah uh, but yeah, like, so I had to choose an activity and they, one of my teachers was going to let me play football, but my mom was like worried I was going to get hurt. That's what, that was my first choice. So then I started Taekwondo when I was like 14 and I started competing a lot because I couldn't do anything else. I had a job. I was like pushing carts at the local grocery store and then I was only allowed to go to the gym and home for school. I couldn't see my friends for a year or more. I think it was. 
It was super drastic, but I don't know that anything else would have worked. Sure. Hold on. What were the drugs? Nothing too crazy. I mean... You don't have to tell me. No, it's okay. okay. It was like, you know, pot every day and starting to starting. It was starting to get into harder stuff though. Sure. She she just found me with, with pot and I think there was maybe angel dust or something in my coat is what she found, but I don't remember exactly. Bro. She but was, yeah, she was right. Mm-hmm. She caught me because I was trying to make macaroni and cheese and like so clearly couldn't read. <laughs> She's like terrible. She was like, "Who needs to read she the box?" She was like, "Go to, go to bed." <laughs> I yeah. remember. Like, oh yeah, she was like, "You need to go to sleep." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's interesting. And then she went through my coat and found it all. So uh, then I got started in that, and um, I met some really awesome people in Taekwondo. You know, there's never like one incident that changes everything or one person, but. A lot of them were, were really awesome. Like just seeing like the different path he might like to take. I'm still pretty close with that that coach. He was the one that had been deployed. That's how we actually found out about the building that SI is in. Mm. Because he's in there. He teaches Taekwondo in a different spot. Oh, sure. That whole so, building is fitness related. Yeah, like it's super fun. and athlete studio, athlete lab or whatever it's, it is. Yeah, it's got a, like a good vibe. They have yeah. a couple of gymnasts next door who are uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Olympic level. Oh, that's awesome. Super impressive. Um, yeah, so it's super fun. But he was great, and then I made a really good friend there who was who was a, a few years older than me, but she just kind of a, a good mentor, training partner. It's the, I, pe- it's the people, right? Yeah, Going exactly. Back to that same thing is you know, the activity is one thing. Clearly, it is, which is great. But you're still doing wasn't it? Yeah. Well, but you're still you know combat mm-hmm. martial arts related stuff. But the people are still there. Yeah, hundred percent. When we're still pretty good friends she uh she was like 19 and putting herself through law school and doing triathlons and competing and i yeah i was 14 at the time and i was like wow you know just so impressed by her i think and um that's the perfect age breakdown too like this yeah it's not an old person not an adult exactly like she wasn't quite didn't quite qualify as an adult and i think she uh she sort of took me under her wing and we were exact same size so when we'd go do tournaments we'd one of us would go up, one of us would go down, and we'd just split that way. But we trained together all the time, and she was very um, just cool and never. I think sometimes when, and I've seen this in other gyms when, like, particularly young girls come in, and you're annoying as shit because you're a teenager. It's your job to be annoying. <laughs> I'm sure I was annoying, uh, yeah, but she didn't yeah. let me feel it. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. Uh, so it was really neat. She was just like, why don't you go to college while you're in high school? You know, they'll pay for it. So she set me up with that. And, um, I ended up, I ended up switching degrees enough to that. It didn't matter, but, <laughs> but I, I started well, college you, when I was like 16. You probably would have switched those degrees mm-hmm. still and taken even longer, even longer. Know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but really, I think, uh, that made a big difference. I don't, I, I have a degree in kinesiology from the University of Minnesota, and then, mm-hmm. but I had switched. I was pre-vet at first, and the course load was just too much with fighting. And by that point, I had gone into MMA, and I was just like, "This is too demanding. I can't." So I ended up doing kin, and really, those professors were really understanding, which helped because 
they have all the bum athletes that are causing trouble. You know, I, I remember when I was there, they had somebody who was paid to go drive around and make sure the football players were going to class. Oh my god! It was a job that your university paid for. Oh my god! So it made it much, uh, much, much easier if you're like, "Hey, I have this huge fight. Can I turn this paper in?" And they were cool. A little late. And they odd. Odds are they have their own athletic background, and you're just close, so they empathize. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, they're just closer to that culture. Like I feel you, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I remember talking to my when I was uh, finishing up and I was doing my my thesis because I had a really big fight um, May 31st, and it was my final year. It was the year I was supposed to graduate. And I ended up putting off my graduation for it because it was just so demanding. It was the first time I'd fought on television, and it was uh, actually the first fights that were on primetime TV. It was on CBS. And I just was not prepared for the number of, like, interviews and bullshit you have to do. It was I was really sidelined. You know, I was, like, 22 years old. So I was really sidelined by that. And just the media and, like, assholes on Twitter sending me messages about how I was going to lose and stuff. And uh, <laughs> I just... There's another years of experience thing. Like you were prepared for a fight. You weren't prepared for that kind of war. Oh, hundred like, percent. Yeah. And, and nobody around me, like, I think even prior to that, cause it was 2008. So social media wasn't a uh, yeah. real big before that. So I think like the even first iPhone at that point. Yeah. Right? It's hard to help somebody through it. So it was just super distracting. I forgot where I was going with that. Me too. It's all good though. Here, here we are. <laughs> Having fun. Anyway, yeah, so, <laughs> so, uh, it was really nice having, like, switching majors, and then I got my CSCS for my first job out of college, which yeah. was, I was a strength and conditioning coach for a girls volleyball club, yeah. and there was 272 of them from 11 to 18 years old. Whoa. And, I, I, like, in hindsight. That's gigantic. It is gigantic. Have and you I was, been in a weight room with, like, 150 teenage boys? I've not those no, but I'm saying I've been there. So to hear those numbers, yo, it was crazy. Um, in some ways, like super fulfilling, but oh, in yeah. some ways, like really stressful. I think it was made worse, like a little bit more difficult by the fact that I was closer in age to them. So mm. it, it, you know, it blurred the line a, a little bit. Yeah. In terms of like how they felt about me, but in some ways, it was really good because if they needed to talk to somebody about something, they couldn't talk to mom about that needed to be talked about. Yeah. Yeah. They could make me talk to their strength and conditioning coach. Right. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't. I the the main high school strength and conditioning gig that I had. Mm-hmm. I was X number of years further down the line in age, but I was the young coach that lifted with the guys and did things. I wasn't. Oh like yeah. Casually pedaling the bike in the corner. So like, you know, there was the moment where I you know was doing push presses with like 350 pounds and uh-huh. suddenly I was an expert. Like I didn't know anything oh, before that. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, even just a youthful vigor actually, yeah, can, can be really beneficial when working with totally. a big group of kids like that. And I think they, uh, I bet that was great because I bet they relate to you more or it felt like they could relate to you more. I think there's definitely something people, people, especially like young people and not to be sexist, but I think especially young men, there's something about someone being able to do it better than them that will get them to listen. That ain't sexist. That's facts. Um, I've lived it on both ends. Yeah. And 
I bet that was hugely beneficial for the whole program, frankly, gigantic. that you were there. Yeah, gigantic. Or mm-hmm. some version of me. Whenever like a couple of the younger tier coaches were around, it was a different room, different type of communication, yep. different expectations, all that stuff. That makes perfect sense to me. What else should we talk about? What else should we talk about? I don't know. You've been here a minute for the record. I'm not even paying attention. We're about three hours recorded with oh. a couple breaks. How long do you normally go? Till you're done? This guy's a party. Are we animal. keeping That's are we good. keeping Polly awake? No, That's a better no. question. Are we holding you up? He, he's only been up a few hours. <laughs> we were up late last night too. Fights. One of our fighters had her pro debut last night, so Who was that? Angela Barr is her name. So Where would I have seen it? Uh Flow Combat. It was on Flow oh, Combat. Okay. But we posted on Instagram about it. But she sure. She's cool. So she lives in Des Moines and she comes up to train and she's, um, she is like 110 pounds soaking wet, you know, she's, she's itty bitty, but she's, she's very intense and she primarily trains at round cake gym down there, but comes up and trains with us on the weekends and we corner her usually, but man, uh, it was a lot of fun. She's an interesting person because she's a she's I think she's a doctor of physical therapy, but she specializes in head trauma, and has had twenty seven tie fights and is also a brown belt in jujitsu. Hmm. Hasn't fought MMA yet. We're trying to peer pressure into it. <laughs> you do all the pieces, right? Right, but it is funny, like with her, her head trauma stuff. I mean, it's also smart. Like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna learn to throw shot put from a guy that threw some shot puts. <laughs> you know what's the best way to yeah brain damage i mean yeah there's something there kind of morose sounding but it's something uh-huh. there. there's another local guy that fought like friday uh marlin I don't marlin sims yeah I'm, he's a I boxing guy yeah yeah he he's works with um so there's alfonso vasquez is like a local boxing trainer he had a bunch of amateur fights himself and he comes into he d- holds fair guys at si he was at uppercut before it switch to Lowe's mm-hmm. um and I think still does he's still doing sessions out of there too but he's he's had Marlon under his wing for a minute sure and then Mar- I know Marlon also goes over to work for some sparring and strength yeah that's stuff how too. I ended up seeing yeah it, just because I started following work recently yeah I didn't see the fight because we were watching Andrews but I think I think he sounds like a good fight but he lost the decision I think you know going to the hometown it's just sometimes difficult and it yeah. sounds like my, that might have been he had the a little case. video in his like instagram stories talking about it seemed like he had a good exactly attitude that. yeah yeah who, who are you a fan of who, who's your like fighting crush or jujitsu crush so to speak not like in a weird way but like man i like the way they throw hands they you know? do whatever i'm one of my favorite people to uh watch is rod tang he's uh a thai guy who just basically pressure fights everybody and kills them i have a lot of people like i'm fangirling on this um She's obviously not new, but her name is Alicia Rodriguez, and she's a Brazilian woman and living in Thailand and fighting. And man, like, it's she's got beautiful structure. Like, it's just. What do you mean by structure? How do you describe that? So. So the other thing with Muay Thai, I think in America a lot we think of our fighting sports as offense and defense as being separate. And in Muay Thai, they're not. And um, 
they're at the same time and your structure is what provides the defense like to the, to the point that they do activities specifically to kind of harden your bones and um but then also like uh, being able to use your skeleton instead of your muscles to do stuff and her structure the way she uses that is beautiful both like when she's standing there and in motion it's so effective but it looks amazing too She's awesome at it. If I if I could pull it down to like an elementary view, the way she creates shapes <laughs> in the ring, like. But it's not just that they're shapes. It's it's that sh- it's effective. It's it's that it's it's beautiful from. From the from like the use, not the practice, like the use, not the theory. It's beautiful because she's used it a lot, and and you can see it when she moves. Not the theory of how tie boxing is supposed to look. Hmm. Yeah, like, I practice this move, and in theory, this is how it works, but you got to remember it's a fight. Mm. There's going to be a dynamic response, so create whatever shapes you want, you know, Mm -hmm. make whatever form you want, but it's dynamic. It needs to be applicable to the situation in front of you. Mm Mm-hmm. Somewhat same idea. I love this because I'm swimming in water. I can't handle. No, no, no. Um, yes and no. Like, it's like, it's like where her, where her body returns to when she's not striking, and it, it's like a shell that protects her. It's so perfect. Like, while she's moving. It's neat to watch. I'll send you guys a clip if you want to see it. Maybe maybe it'll just look dumb and you won't, well, it no, won't make sense. I, but. I was just going to say I like that explanation because I know that I don't understand still. Yeah, maybe but it makes sense. No, but it, but it was still a fantastic explanation. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. it's basically I need to go tie box for five or six or ten years. <laughs> and, then, no. and then, no, but, and then, but then I'm going to see that, the, the clip you're going to send me, and I'm going to go... Uh-huh. I, I think you'd see it within a month. Okay. Thank God. Right, you'd see it early. Because like, <laughs> as soon as you start like realizing like uh, when you're getting hit and how it's yeah. happening, it, the, the need for it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, left hand of the ribs is good feedback as to where I should and shouldn't be. Right? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Ow, that, that hurts again. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, what were you going to do before you be- became a fighter? Uh, I was going to be a veterinarian. Oh, so that, yeah. And, and I, I... That was the plan. That was the yeah. plan, like, since I was a little girl. And I... I don't think I could handle it, to be honest, man. Same. I, when I you read exactly about... What you mean. Some of the stuff, and, and just the fact that you have to... You're, you're servicing the human, the human, not the animal, basically, and having yep. to cater to the, that client. Man... I don't know how they don't this, slap people, to be honest. Well, but, and then also the other side of it, this dog I'm putting down is going to be dead. The people in mm-hmm. the room are the project. That's the, yeah. that's the client, you know? Yeah. I think that'd be, uh, it'd be super, t- and they have super high, uh, suicide rate, but yeah, really high suicide rate. 
Cause people do stuff like yes. with their dog and then you got to kill it while the dog's freaking out. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it'll be horrible. Can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah, the, the the fifth and sixth grade assignment, what do you want to be when you grow mm-hmm. up version of the vet? It sounds great. Is exactly what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And then you you start learning realities of dealing with veterinary medicine and you go, oh. Right. So, like, I suppose so many other things. Of course, but man, job. I feel like that flip-flop is pretty, like. Yeah, yeah, fair point. <laughs> but I do think, so there's some pretty cool dog rescues abroad and stuff that, I think maybe if you had the right job, it wouldn't feel that way. You know, like they're just these strays and you fix them up and let them go on their merry way. If you had a job with a rescue overseas, mm-hmm. that'd be amazing. That wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Like life is weird and we got a lot of time. Hopefully, knock on wood, have a lot of time. So your body only holds out for, for you know, a certain level of athletics so long. And then you got a bunch of other time to kill. So you got to figure out something to do with yourself then. You teach other people how to abuse their bodies. Well. <laughs> That's what I've done. Mm-hmm. Different brand, but same deal. For sure. It, and that's fun. You know, I think I'll probably go back to doing more matchmaking stuff, too, at some point. Like Let it, me say, when I first, like, looked at your Instagram or whatever, mm-hmm. and it said that you were this, and you were this, and then it said you were a matchmaker with zero context, I was like, all right, well. She likes hooking up friends with friends. I don't know. What, what, what the hell does that mean? And then sometime later, uh-huh. I was like, oh. I was like, oh, it's fights. Yeah, I don't even think about it in that context, of course. That's funny. <laughs> Fight matchmaker? I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. You learn a lot about, oh, just like anything, right? Like once you're, you have one perspective as a child and then there is a parent and one is an employee and one is a business owner. And it's the same. Yeah. So you learn a lot about about the industry from the other side and and how things actually work and then you feel like a dumbass because you see all your missteps that you made <laughs> earlier you know yeah just being ignorant you know, cause we yep. all are until we know yeah yeah and that's when you start coaching other people mm-hmm. you can, no exactly you can at least not make the same three mistakes i made here let me give you a cheat code <laughs> <laughs> i think that's pretty good uh, i don't know anything else you feel good yeah I feel good. Polly, you good? Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in one more time. Hopefully that was an enjoyable, entertaining conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined. Feel free to send me free money if you'd like. And now a clip from next week's guest. When you win a wrestling match versus a jiu-jitsu match, for me, it's more of like an adrenaline rush. And it just makes me feel like I accomplished more, I guess.